0: Morning, I quite like the fat birds. I think that's a good idea that she's had the gastric band fitted. Unfortunately, it never worked. But there again, as you probably heard throughout the entire night, lots of gastric bands don't work. I've seen people on television who've had their jaws wired up, and it's not worked, because if you want to eat... She said that the, the reason she wants the new sort of stapling process is because she's addicted to chocolate like most people. Um, and so she said that's, that's the big problem. Unfortunately, as you can probably gather, she's weak. Uh, she's ineffectual, she's unemployed, no big surprise there, and uh, how she affords the money to buy chocolate, I've got no idea how you get to be that size, and the answer is she's eating junk food, and she likes junk food, she likes packets of crisps, she likes her chips, she likes all, all the usual stuff which makes you fat unless you do exercise, and of course if you're not getting up to go to work, you're not actually getting any exercise, so that's why she's the fat lump she is now. To be honest with you, she's also craving attention. Sometimes, you know, when people want these operations, it's a way of sort of saying, "Look, please help me. I can't do anything else." Frankly, I couldn't give a flying toss about her. I couldn't care less if she explodes as a barrage balloon. I'm really not that interested because it's self-inflicted. If it was, if it was, if it was an illness. Then you could understand why, you know, you would say, well, listen, we definitely have to get her in there and do something about it. But as I mean, she's no she's no use to man nor beast. Why doesn't she save money up and pay for the operation? I think people like that should actually have to contribute to it in some way, shape or form. How? I've got no idea. Perhaps you just take money off their benefits. But I think anything that gets her back working again has to be a really good idea. So the quicker she's back working, the quicker she can start losing the weight, and the quicker we can get her off crisps and chips and fish and McDonald's and Kentucky Fried Chicken and, and cheap food, the better. Because that's the only thing that's making her ill. And obviously she's not happy about it. She's done an interview in one of those magazines, which presumably either sort of give them money. I think that those, those magazines actually do nobody any favour whatsoever. There's so many of them now. You go to the newsagent and there's hundreds of closer, now, new, next, you know, tomato, whatever it happens to be. Loads of these things. And and it just fuels the public's insatiable appetite for people whose lives are really quite much worse than your own. <laughs> so you like reading them and having a good old laugh at them because you think, you know, my daughter was a prostitute. and You think I'm not at all surprised. Look at what she grew up in. You know, every time you open up the paper today, you've got Imogen Thomas selling yet more tacky stories of who she slept with. I mean, it, it really is. It's a little bit bad. Prost- prostitutes, years ago, used to sort of, you know, have clients, but then keep their mouth shut. Make up your own jokes. But, in fact, uh, unfortunately, what they do now is they go to the papers, they, they find an agent, and the next thing they're actually doing is selling a story of who they have slept with. I noticed, actually, and I'm glad that John has um, has mentioned the, uh, the whistle, because he's in Southampton. This is the whistle from Titanic. Because you know that the other ship that's gone out there to recreate the voyage, uh, has had to turn back because a BBC cameraman's not very well. So quite clearly the BBC are on a nice little freebie over there and they're filming it, presumably so that they can they can then sort of make another television programme about it. And so they had to turn the ship round, head back in. We've had it before. Every time I'm on a cruise once, uh, there's always somebody who goes ill on it. There's nothing you can do about it. You can guarantee there's going to be somebody who's going to fall sick on it. So this time we've got a 56-year-old cameraman, far too old to be working for the BBC as far as I'm concerned. But the BBC tend to employ people until they become like 190. Once you're there, you're there for life. So uh, you go round Channel 4, go round Channel 5, the cameramen are 12, 13, 14, go to the BBC, 90. And so they send an old man out on board a ship who then becomes ill, so they then have to sort of stop the thing, so they're now delayed while they have to get out at vast cost, you know, an aircraft to airlift him off so they can get him into hospital. We had it on our ship. I think we were sort of like two or three days out and all of a sudden the ship grinds to a halt and you think, oh, God, what's going to happen now? And it turns out somebody was ill, so they have to airlift them off. Otherwise you have to send the thing back to, uh, back to port again. A couple of other stories in the paper. In fact, there's three things in the paper today which I, which I quite like. One is the amount of hotels in London who have been wrapped over the knuckles for charging a lot of money for their afternoon cup of tea. The, uh, the most expensive is the Lanesborough adored by Leonardo DiCaprio. It used to be a hospital. I think, was the Lanesboro Hospital? I think the was Hospital. When it first opened, we did a big thing there and we had conferences at the It's a lovely hotel, right on the corner, but their afternoon tea is 85 quid. For eighty-five pounds, you get a glass of Krug champagne, and you get, you know, scones and cream and little sandwiches and stuff like that. Which actually, if there's two of you, so it's hundred and seventy quid, and then you're going to tip. So you could probably leave twenty quid, aren't you? If you're going to, if you can afford that much money, twenty quid is going to be nothing. Um, and then there's uh, if, if, at the Ritz. I think a champagne tea is sixty-four pounds. They're all roughly about the same price. We had it at Claridge's a few times, and that's a really nice afternoon tea in nice surroundings. That's what you're paying for. You're not paying for just sort of a cup of tea served to you and a glass of champagne. It's all done very nicely. The little sandwiches are all beautifully cut. The little petit fours are beautifully made. Everything, you know, is made on the premises. And so I think, I'm pretty certain, at Claridge's, it was about, I thought it was about 90 quid, to be honest with you. I really, I really did... I'm I'm pretty pretty certain that it's about it was about eighty five ninety pounds and for that you get a glass of champagne and then you get um, a choice of tea and I think at Claridge's they've got like forty different teas then you get the little finger sandwiches which are delicious I mean they really are there's something nice about about finger sandwiches then you get the little cakes but you can order more if you want it you know, if you want more sandwiches they'll bring you some more sandwiches at that price I suppose it's it's worth it but uh, there's no shortage of people paying it. London must be absolutely chock a block with rich people. Although at Asda, tea bags, scones, a loaf and sandwich fillers to cover several high teas is ten pound fifty three. They don't actually serve afternoon tea at Asda, I'm just pointing that out in case you think, you know, if you're a chav listening, you'd want to head down there as quick as possible. No, no, you just have to buy it and make it yourself. Uh which magazine have done this report. It must be quite a good report to do for which. You go down there and they say to the reporter, you're gonna to have to eat tea at lots of different places and they go, Oh right, that's a hardship, is it? Not really. And they want to know whether the swanky surroundings justify the cost of a cup of tea. And personally, I think they do. I think they absolutely do. If if you, I mean, if you don't want to go there, don't go there. It's not they're, they're not remotely bothered about somebody who's going to complain about the about the actual cost of an afternoon tea. I mean, because they've been these prices for years, which are a little bit late on the uh, starting blocks for this one. But if if you don't want to go and eat there, don't go and eat there. So It's like saying, oh, can you imagine, Rolls-Royce's cost this much money, or, you know, Bentley's cost this, or if you fly first class from Heathrow, it costs this much money. Well, don't don't fly first class. If you can't afford to do it, don't do it. If you can't afford to have tea at the Ritz or the Lanesborough or the Connaught or, you know, or any one of the Dorchester, any one of these hotels, don't go there. Go somewhere that's, you know, within your means, There's loads of tea shops. I think they've actually done a big report in one of the papers where they've done Betty's of Harrogate, where even their tea is something like 30 plus quid. So it's not cheap, and that's just for a little tea shop. Admittedly, it's a good tea shop, but you're paying for your surroundings. I think you're actually paying for something really, really nice. Anyway, uh, just going back to, uh, to John, we did see the commemorative events. Since the mighty Titanic departed Southampton for the last time, he said, I told you it'd be awesome. And it was at the noon departure time. I was at the VIP service of remembrance at the Titanic dock. And as the sound of the throaty ship's whistle blasted across the port, it put a shiver down my spine. You'll have to tell me actually, John, whether or not we were saying yesterday it was a recording of the ship's whistle. I didn't think it was a recording. I thought it was the ship's whistle. But uh, we were saying it was a recording, and I I wasn't sure if it was. He met untold relatives of those who perished and felt moved emotionally. And um, he says the opening of the city's new Sea City Museum went well also. Next comes the British Titanic Society Convention. Fantastic. But uh, shiver down your spine when you hear the actual whistle from Titanic and and the sound that it made... That uh, must be there, because when we went, up, well, we, we went out of Southampton a few years back and we had the QM2 next to us, and by God, when that thing sort of sounded its hooters, oh, the noise, it reverberates. It absolutely reverberates throughout everything. It's absolutely fantastic, it really is. So uh, I'm glad you had a, a nice day down there, and I'm glad it was very good indeed. The other story in the paper is uh, romantic drama The Notebook. It's apparently the biggest tearjerker of all time. Isn't that strange? I've never even heard of The Notebook. Apparently, it's a 2004 Weepy. It's got Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams. And it even beat Titanic to the to the top spot. Marley and Me is in there at number two. Now, I've got this film. I've never seen it. Schindler's List is very good, but then it's a, it's a reenactment of actual events. Titanic at number four was a made-up story. You know, they had to sort of embellish it. Still still good. Still good. Good Night, Mr Tom. I can't... It was... um. What's-its-husband, isn't it? who was on the, the television a lot. I didn't know they made a film, I just thought that was a TV series. The Green Mile's very good. I've seen that a couple of times. The Help, I've never even heard of. Up. How on earth can that be a weepy, Up? How could Up? Uh, that was that uh, Pixar film, wasn't it, I think? The Lion King, Toy Story. And then and when you look at the films that make women cry and films that make men cry, there's, there's not really a lot between them. Uh, number five uh, for men, it's The Green Mile. For women, it's the Green Mile. Number four is Titanic. In the women's list, it's Titanic as well. Uh, number three, Schindler's list. Whereas for men, it's Goodbye Mr Tom. Schindler's list is number two and Marley and Me is number one. Whereas it's Marley and Me at number two for women and The Notebook at number one. I suggest to you, actually, there's a loads- of ET's not even in there. ET's not even mentioned, I'm afraid. This is all done for a, for a website, so we won't even bother mentioning the website. But I don't believe it. I don't believe that that's the top film, The Notebook. Especially as I'd never even heard of it. Mind you, I've not heard of every single film. I'm also beginning to wonder why the Norwegians, extremely placid people, are still going on with this mass murderer who is Anders Breivik. They've now ruled that he's sane. That's, that's a second psychiatric reporter said that he is completely sane. And he's, he's now saying, I should have killed more. To be honest with you, why they don't take him out and hang him, I've got no idea. Why would you... I mean, how many people do you need to kill in this in this country. 77 he killed in Norway. Perhaps they should give him a holiday or something. I mean, quite clearly, he's, he, he, he's not a psychopath. He's nothing like that. He's just... He's not even mentally ill. They've said he's perfectly sane. So what on earth possesses somebody like that? But he's now saying... Because originally, I think they were saying he's a paranoid schizophrenic, and uh, all the experts say, no, nothing about with him at all. He's just a murderer. So in fact... I don't know what penalties they can, they can have for him. In America, I think they'd have executed him by now. And to be honest with you, best thing you could do with him. There's no point in keeping somebody like this or even wasting time and money on a trial. You know he's guilty. You don't need to go through a trial of anything. You just have to decide why he did it. And if there's anything you can do to sort of prevent it happening again. And the answer is there is nothing you can do to prevent it happening again. I remember talking to the woman who'd written the book about the child killer, Mary Bell. And um, Mary Bell had received a fee for cooperating with this book. She was a child killer. And uh, what basically the author was saying was that children change. And uh, I remember arguing with her, sorry, discussing with her exactly how it works, why you can pay somebody for committing, you know, a murder all those years ago. Uh, And I think the fee was something like the papers were saying probably £50,000. Either way, it was somebody who had committed an atrocity when they were young and then somebody had written about them when they were much older. But in order to get them to talk, you have to offer people money. And I said, what's the purpose of the book? And she said, maybe we can learn from it. And I thought, well, you can't learn from it. You can't predict, and you cannot look out on the streets and try and work out which child out ad- at adults is going to commit murder. You just have to wait till it happens, because you can walk past 20 people in the course of uh, just a quick walk down the high street. Any one of them could be a murderer. LBC 97.3. We've been much stamina over at EastEnders. They've had to give um, time off to Patsy Palmer. And they say she's been given six months off so she can spend time with her her real-life kids. And apparently Charlie Brooks, who plays Janine Butcher, uh, is also taking a six-month break from the show and may appear in Strictly Come Dancing. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't know why they bother with these people if you can't even be bothered to commit yourself, you know, because, I mean, jobs in acting are fairly hard to come by. And uh, Janine Butcher, frankly, I, I really couldn't you know, careless whether she was run over in the programme. But, I mean, to take time off and then go on to something else means, as far as I'm concerned, they're not really that committed to something. It's not exactly difficult, is it? You turn up, there's probably a car sent for you, you turn up, somebody gives you a script, you learn it in the car, you do a couple of scenes, and then you go home and millions of people watch you. And that's how it works. Uh, Steve, we've got a culture that allows people to say, not even tongue-in-cheek, it's not my fault, I've got no self-control or willpower, what next it's not my fault i gorge myself silly live on disability benefits because of overeating and not working it it goes on all the time we're in the uh, we're in the sort of culture at the moment whereby you know you 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 pay for me you you pay for me. i can I, I can't be bothered to do this you give me money it was like the woman the other day wasn't it she was on benefits and she had loud parties late at night could afford to drink and uh, eventually the neighbors got her kicked out it took a long time because councils work very slowly but eventually they got the poor soul kicked out and that was good news and, but then again, she'll just go and cause trouble for somebody else somewhere else, because people don't bother now. There's two blokes in the paper today. Grieves me to tell you they're from a travelling family. They thieve. It does seem to me every time you open up the newspapers and you read about travellers, it's to do with thieving. That's why every time you watch the programme, My Big Fat Traveller Wedding... They're not gypsies, we keep explaining to you. And, um, and they pixelate all the blokes' faces, because they thieve. That's what they do for a living. They thieve. In fact, there's a whole lot of them descended on a car park in... Um, I think in France somewhere... And all they've... Apparently it's for a wedding. And all they've done is they've just left mounds and mounds of rubbish. So they don't really want to integrate into society. They don't like us. They just like taking all the benefits. Not very pleasant people. Uh, Don't pay tax. Don't really do anything, actually. Come round, do a few little odd jobs for you. But mainly it's thieving. And the two blokes who are in the paper today accused of thieving said they couldn't possibly have done this particular thieving because they were thieving elsewhere that night. Classic, isn't it? As usual, as with most of these uh, traveller blokes, they're fat and overweight, fat and overweight, and it's generally brothers that go out thieving. So they're in the in the courts. They've been they've been convicted of it, and um, and they're now trying to decide what the sentence will be. Lord, I mean, I just turn prison car parks into caravan sites, make it so much easier. Uh, it was an actual recording of the Titanic's whistle. Yes, the real Titanic. All well, congratulations to the Associate British Ports for not sparing on the expense, says John. So it, was, so it was an actual recording of it. It wasn't the actual whistle. Well, I mean, it was, but it wasn't... I thought they, they'd got the whistle back from the ship. I thought they, they'd brought it up. In which case, so they, it's, they then recorded it, and they then played the recording back. Right. That's how it is. Because I thought if they had the whistle, they could have actually sort of... could have done it with the real whistle, I suppose. Lynn says, many years ago, my husband treated me to tea at the Ritz. It was wonderful. A lovely treat. Part of a lovely day in London. You're right. If you don't like the price, don't go. Oh, I totally agree with you. I was treated to, um... I was treated to tea at the Dorchester. I've had tea at the Ritz. I've had tea at Fortnum and Mason's. And you're quite right. I mean, to be honest with you, I've never paid for it. I've always been treated to it, which is actually quite nice. And I've always thought to myself, you know, it's it's a nice thing, but it's a treat it's part of a day out in london and i think mine was part of a day out where we sort of we did what did we do we did well, I can't remember what we did actually i think we went to the uh, the royal academy there was a special exhibition and and i think what else did we do actually we went we there then we went for tea and then we went where did we go after that i think we went off to something else and then we went off to the theatre so all in all it, it was a day of cramming everything in but you don't do it all the time some people do it all the time some people do it all the time some people you know, actually go out there and they will do tea every day. You can see the ladies in Fortnum and Mason. You know that they have tea in there every day because they're those sort of people. And you could probably go round the country. You'll find all sorts of hotels offer afternoon tea. Even the littlest hotel, afternoon tea, because that's what people want. They want to sit down and have a cup of tea and some little sandwiches. So it's, it's great. Joey says, Marley and Me is great. It's a true story. The Help was nominated for several Oscars and won at least one at the Academy Awards just gone, and you've never heard of it. It's a story of black maids in the segregated South in 50s America. Oh, right. I might have to... Oh, as in the help, the hired help. Oh, right. But uh, I must go and get Notebook, I think, or find out at least what it is, because if I've never heard of The Blooming Thing and it's been voted number one for, for weepy films, I definitely need to see it. Definitely need to see it. Lots of pictures in the, in the papers today of, um, of Beyoncé. Good God, she's unrecognisable. Uh, Beyoncé here, and she's uh, swimming on a St Bart's beach. Doesn't look at all like Beyoncé. It really doesn't. And I still like her when um, she did, was it Glastonbury? Something like that. I really, really enjoyed that. Absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. I thought it was the best thing I'd ever seen. I was explaining to a friend of mine the other day about how good she was on stage and how much the crowd absolutely loved her. I would never go to Glastonbury. Not the kind of thing you'd ever want to go to, I'm afraid. Derek Jacobi has fulfilled a lifelong ambition. He's appeared on Coronation Street, but blink and you'll miss him. He apparently... Uh, the 73-year-old film great, good Lord, 73, who once tried to smuggle himself on set with Bradley Walsh, will appear as a drinker in the background of a scene at the Rovers' Return. So that's quite nice. He's not the only famous face. Apparently Peter Schmeichel and Sir Cliff Richard have also been sneaked in. I love the idea of Cliff Richard in the bar and nobody, nobody recognises Cliff Richard. Although there is uh, talking about people who appear on things and then blink and you miss them. Holly Willoughby apparently is one of the co-presenters of The Voice. In three of the shows, she's appeared for a total of one minute, 20 seconds. And people are now questioning, because this is the BBC big rip-off, isn't it? It's all funded by Universal. It's cost £22 million to make, but it's one giant advert. And it's a a bit of a fiddle, because most of the artists are either signed to Universal or they've got friends at Universal or they bumped into somebody from Universal. And so Holly Willoughby has appeared for one minute, 20 seconds. They said at one point, you know, she appeared on screen and then she'd gone. And that was all you saw of her in the entire programme, which is uh, not the best thing, is it? Not the best thing. Uh, More on the Tory donor today. This is William Ives, who, uh, well, he he and his wife split. He called her some very, very rude names, and she called him rude names. And then she said, of course, you know about his past, don't you? You know, he was a bouncer for the craze on one of their clubs. And uh, although, you know, some people have said, no, the claims are rubbish. And all it is, it's a war of words. It's a, it's, it's, it's a feud over claims that he harassed her, but I think he's donated to the Tory party something like £561,000. Uh, there's also stories in the paper today. Oh, this is, the, um, this is the story here of Marcus Bristow and his brother Terence, two fat traveller lumps, I'm afraid, who thieve from people. They um, killed a man with his own car. They went to, to raid a farm. And they killed him with his own Land Rover as he was trying to protect his uh, farm property. It's absolutely disgusting, these people. I tell you, the sooner we bring back hanging, the better. I wonder if we could bring back the death penalty quickly. I don't think it would ever work, though, would it? The argument's always been that just in case you make a mistake, and I think we've made mistakes in the past, you know, that would be the danger. But sometimes you just think some people just don't... They don't deserve to live... They don't offer anything to anybody. They don't uh, contribute. It's exactly like uh, in the paper today. Lots of stories. Unfortunately, they're only in Richard Desmond's papers of Prince Harry enjoying a blossoming relationship with Molly King of the Saturdays. A bigger pile of rubbish should be our push to find, ladies and gentlemen. They were seen singing karaoke in a nightclub. If you read the story properly... They were seen singing karaoke in a, in a, in a sort of disco bar, because Harry likes one or two drinks. Molly is a little bit one of those... The Saturdays haven't performed for ages, I'm afraid. There's not really a lot you can say about them. They had one member in rehab, and, uh, and they mime quite well. That's all you can say about them. She's been desperate to try and forge some sort of career, uh, but it hasn't really worked, so she goes to a nightclub where Prince Harry is, and uh, she's... Blo- he probably has not got the faintest idea who she is. I'm in the Saturdays. Right. Of course you are. What dare are we here? Saturday. Oh, Right. And um, and so now they're saying, because they left separately, they just had a chat like loads of people. You know, otherwise Harry would be having an affair with half the bar staff, I should imagine. So uh, I don't believe a word of it. Don't believe a word of it that they're having... uh, that he's actually smitten. Apparently, a close friend said, it's early days. Yep, it's so early, it's not happening. And that's what we like about things. Although there was something else in the paper I was looking at, apart from from the TV dwarf uh, who got to sleep with... uh, with the Rooney hooker for free. Kerry Katona has now hit back. Remember there was this, this story the other day in the papers, and I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it, they, they were thinking of bringing back, God help us all, uh, Atomic Kitten. I don't know why. They were rubbish first time round. We don't want them second time round. So now there was talk about Liz McLaren and Natasha Hamilton and Jenny Frost being brought back. But uh, Jenny Frost, who now hosts Snog, Marry, Avoid, uh, has refused to share a stage with Kerry Katona. I mean, quite rightly so. You don't want to share a stage with Kerry Katona. She has no talent whatsoever. She serves no useful purpose. But uh, Katona says, The thing is, I was the founding member of the band. There was no band, sweet pea. There was no band. It was in your deluded time. Remember when you were sort of having all those little sort of problems? It was... There was no band. It was just a miming thing. You can't sing for Toffee. We know you can't sing. We've heard you attempting to do it on television. So it's just... It's just not happening. And so, really, it would be a lot easier... If 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 you didn't sort of bother about it and just left it. Nobody's interested in you. You know, your TV show was cancelled. Oh, they've cancelled um they've cancelled Katie Price's show. Sky have decided they don't want to continue working with her. It's a bit of a shame, isn't it, really? I thought they liked her, even though the audience hated the programme. The audience absolutely hated the programme. They didn't they didn't do anything. ...with the show, they didn't really promote it very well, and I think the public have fallen out of love with Katie Price. I think we liked her before, before you suddenly realise what an unpleasant little piece of work she was, and then, and that was it, and there was no going back. There's only a few little 12-year-old girls who sort of follow her and buy the little outfits and, you know, buy into the I've written this book rubbish, And and that's about it. The perfume is sold remainder, I'm afraid, in markets... So that never did particularly well. Most of the stuff she touches doesn't do very well, but she's just on a fee. It's like a licensing fee. They say, I tell you what, I'll actually lend you, you know, my name and you will flog a lighter or you'll flog a mobile phone or something like that. And unfortunately, they get a little bit of publicity because they could sell it on the telly as she will put you on her reality show. But now, you know, we don't have the reality show. It's kind of run out of steam. Bad enough with poor Peter Andre's where they have to... They've done a piece in one of the papers today where, obviously, as part of the show, they've had to send him out to watch uh, children starving in other countries, which is very laudable, but I don't think children starving in other countries need a film crew and Peter Andre or Sarah Ferguson or anybody else. What they want is food. What they want is help. They don't want some blasted film crew turning up, embarrassing, and Peter Andre saying, oh, it's dreadful seeing people dying. And I'm thinking, get out of there. Listen, let them sort it out. They don't want people milking their, their problems, I'm afraid, and putting them on a television programme while we have dubious shots of you crying into a handkerchief. It's not good enough, I'm afraid. It's, uh, it's a little bit naff. So uh, don't do it any more, Pete, please. Otherwise, you know, your audience will fall out of love with you. Incidentally, we don't care either who you're going out with. We're just surprised you're going out with anybody. News is coming up. It's LBC 97.3. It's 4.30. News headlines with Rachel Silver. Thank you. 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. Another picture in the paper today of some bloke you've never heard of. This is, this is the odd one. I think from The Only Wears Essex. His name is Ricky Raymond. He looks like he's wearing some... He's one of the most unattractive people you've ever seen in your entire life. Ricky, apparently, is the Playboy newcomer of the reality TV series. He is dog rough. I mean, if that's a play... I mean, he's, I thought he was gay. no idea. He's got his arm around two women. When I say two women, it is Essex, so, you know, use the term loosely. And uh, here he was, keeping in shape at the gym. I think he'd need to eat the gym to try and get in shape. He's got somebody else's teeth in his mouth. He's got one of those... He's quite clearly one of those very hairy boys, you know, because he's sort of got the stubble, but he just doesn't take a good picture. It's not his fault. Apparently, he gave a hug to two female friends. <laughs> they look scared out of their lives. They look absolutely frightened to death, and I'm not so. Ricky Raymond. I mean, all these people have got some of the naffest names Ricky Raymond, Joey Essex, Amy Childs, who pitched up on Loose Women the other day. God, she is dumb. She really is dumb, honestly. Spends all the time in rollers. I think mainly because she's wearing. At the moment, it looks like somebody else's hair. I think she's borrowed it from a horse or something because there's a little bit too much of it. And of course, uh, Amy, who's businesswoman, as indeed they all are in The Only Way as Essex, was uh, appearing on there to flog her, her designs, because you just see her designing things, don't you? I've often thought to myself, if I'm looking at Amy Childs, I think, I bet you sit there, you know, hunched over a sort of a huge board and, and sort of trying to draw dresses and things like that and not really, not really going for it. Um, the other story, now what was the other one? I was, oh yes, this is a very strange one. I don't know if you go to hospital and you have physio, but health chiefs, have now been branded completely balmy after they've banned physios from touching their patients. Again, we have to check it's not April the 1st. People will instead be directed to websites where they can learn how to treat themselves. NHS bosses insist the plan allows patients to take control of their condition so they can get better quicker. But Phil Gray, chief executive of the Chartered Society of Physiotherapy, said it meant patients would have to go private and pay to get cured. I've never been so ridiculous in my life. Got the whole idea of of being a physio, was that you sort of did hands-on. And apparently they've now been told, nope, don't touch, don't touch. A spokesman said, patients are given practical advice to help them self-manage their condition. This includes exercises to alleviate and manage the symptoms. This service enables all patients to take control of their condition and get better quicker. But I thought the whole idea was, if you were suffering from these things, you couldn't get down there and do anything anyway. You would need some help from the physio. I mean, it's deeply unscientific, a completely balmy form of treating, and there's no research or evidence to back up the hands-off physiotherapy. I've never even heard anything like it. Do you go to hospital? Do you get physiotherapy? Are you a physiotherapist? Have you heard of it? People will have to come to you privately, because I'm assuming the ones listening at the pro- to the programme at the moment would be private physios, and that's where I'm assuming the money is because you're not going to get it working for the NHS, and you can't touch people now. Whether they're actually bringing it in or whether they're thinking about bringing it in, I don't know. Either way, it's something completely ludicrous. Completely ludicrous. So if you're a a physio, how do you feel about that one? And as as Britain's Got Talent tries to push more and more, and um, and now it turns out that the dance troupe Four Corners uh, have been caught up in a favouritism row. The 16-member group, they're never going to get through, there's too many of them, and they're never going to make any money, Uh, yesterday blew the judges away and went through to the next round of rapturous applause. But rivals yesterday claimed to have an unfair advantage because their choreographer, Dean Lee, has also worked for the sister show, The X Factor. An insider said there are rumblings of discontent from other acts that show staff know the choreographer, and this could prove beneficial as the competition progresses. Uh, Mr Lee is known to executives on Simon Cowell's programme, he's also performed as a dancer on the X Factor and the UK Tour. He has assisted Brian Friedman in putting together dance routines for contestants. So, but I'm sure that that's how it would work anyway. You know, if you're looking for somebody, you're going to go for a choreographer who has a bit of a track record. Would that not be the best thing? Max George has admitted he's in The wanted. That his engagement to Michelle Keegan is finally off. Thank God for that. I didn't think it was ever on between you, me, and the Gatepost. I always thought she was a little bit uh, of an attention seeker, and he's too busy faffing around all over the world. They haven't got time for this kind of thing. It's good for a little while, but then eventually it'll probably turn out he's actually got somebody else, and uh, and he's been seeing them. I think they're in a, they're in America, and then I think they're actually off to uh, Australia. So they they all do the all do the rounds. There, So, you know, to have a permanent girlfriend, not particularly good. You don't really want that that kind of thing, do you? On the Titanic whistle, when the original whistle, says John, was retrieved from the seabed, uh, the conservators only passed low-level steam pressure through its pipes as they didn't want to break it. Although the sound was a recording, it had been digitally enhanced but identical in sound and pitch, so yes, a recording, and yes, the sound of the Titanic. But so they haven't used the original whistle because they're quite clearly worried about it breaking. But it would be nice if they could have had the original whistle on display, wouldn't it? That would sort of make make more sense to me. News from contacts on the SS Balmoral. Following the evacuation of the BBC cameraman, uh, the onboard mood has changed. Some are saying the ship's diversion is a bad omen. No comment from me, says John, as I've always been against the ghoul crews. <laughs> That'll be a comment then. Yes, I mean, if you, know, if you do a diversion, is that a bad omen? There's all sorts of things that go with it. Some people are very superstitious. I'm not remotely superstitious. I wouldn't walk under, uh, under ladders, and I do whistle on stage, and I do peer through curtains. I do all, I do all the stuff, stuff on stage, which you're not supposed to do, which is quite interesting. Steve, a few things, says Paul in Manchester, you might have to look at this week. 9pm Channel 4 next Wednesday, Elizabeth Taylor, auction of a lifetime. Now, that will be interesting. That will be very good. Um, Fifty times their expected value, because she had the jewellery, and then she had the other stuff that came up. And that well, I'm glad somebody's filmed it, because that's very, very good. And uh, Sunday night, words of the Titanic. Richard E. Grant and others reading extracts of letters written by victims of the Titanic. And lastly, this Saturday, Michael Parkinson interviews Kenneth Williams. He'll never get a word in Edgewise. Never get a word in Edgewise. But it will be worth watching. It will be worth watching. Uh, very enjoyable film, says Stephen Bridlington. The unsinkable Molly Brown. Do you know, strange enough, I got that out yesterday. I got the unsink... I, I, I didn't buy it. I bought it ages ago when Debbie Reynolds came in. And I can't remember who else was in it. Was it Howard Keel? Not sure, but I've I've never watched it. In fact, I I dug it out of a box. I remember thinking, God, I went through a fa- I bought all the Debbie Reynolds films. She came in, and I bought everything that she'd done, or most of it anyway. And it's all still factory sealed. I haven't uh, haven't opened the blooming things, so I might have to watch that. Uh, the other day, strangely, I was thinking about um, about Ron Sandy who died. I think it was Ron. I'm sorry if it's not Stuart. I, I couldn't remember yesterday. This is the man who started Sandy's the Fishmongers in Twickenham. And they put a nice thing up on the window, saying that all the family were at his bedside and all the rest of it. And I was talking to some people in Twickenham yesterday about him, and everybody remembers him in there. Everybody remembers your dad, Stuart. Everybody. Which is good. Although, strangely enough, they didn't know that you were his son. You say to somebody, because Stuart's running the business now, and they go, oh, he's had his son. You go, yeah, I think so. (laughs) So, there you go. But uh, fondly remembered in in Twickenham, the man who started uh, the fish shop, which has gone from strength to strength. In fact, I don't think you could actually sort of have a more successful business. He really does. He puts his little heart and soul into it, bless him. Uh, 84850 stevedlbc.co.uk And uh, Sandra says, like you, I've never heard of notebook, but I bought it in a bargain bucket. Oh, chicken. Oh, dear. One of the saddest love stories I've ever seen. You just don't weep, you sob. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Little bit, little bit of a shame there. I'll tell you what they, they showed on the television the other day. They showed The Way We Were with Robert Redford and Barbara Streisand. And absolutely loved Barbara Streisand. Absolutely, uh, absolutely loved Barbara Streisand. And she was so good. She was so, so good in this film. At the end of it, you felt really, really sorry. Really, really sorry for her. Because you think, she didn't get the bloke, but, you know, you got the feeling there was something there. But I remember people coming out the cinema going, best film we've ever seen. Best kind of weepy film. And then there was The Champ, wasn't there, with Ricky uh, Ricky Watson, And that was another film that got people going, Woohoo But uh, P.S. I Love You, Steve, is a great film. I've never I've never heard of that, P.S. I Love You. Don't know that one at all. Yasser at Brent Cross says, uh, I think you're a very funny person, yes. And then Jane says, you sound like you've got the right hump tonight. I am in mean, one of the best moods ever, Jane. I never get the hump, actually. I never get the hump. Only with stupid people who write dumb things. That's the only thing I get the hump with. But the rest of the time, never get the hump over anything. How can you get the hump over anything? You've only got to sit here for two and a half hours. It's not that difficult. Um, one here, I think it's uh, somebody in Swiss Cottage says, did you see the dancing dog on Britain's Got Talent? There's a dancing dog. No, there can't be. That was the last series. There's, there's not one in the new series, is there? There can't be a dancing... A dancing dog? Not on the television again. No, they've done that act before. That was the last series you're thinking of. Definitely not in this new one. There's nothing. There's just some singers, jugglers, fire eaters, probably some magicians and stuff like that. That's about it. But I've never... Uh, I've never heard of another dancing dog. Sorry about that one. Uh, An internet troll sent a threatening message to Tory MP Louise Mensch, ordering her to choose which of her children should die. The email said, You have been hacked. We are inside your computer, all your phones everywhere inside your home. So get off Twitter. We see you are still on Twitter. We've sent a camera crew to photograph you and your kids, and we'll post it on the net, including Twitter. Then they write something rude. You now have a Sophie's Choice. Which kid is to go? Who will you choose? And, um... They, they found the person who... It, it takes them, like, five minutes to find somebody. The moment something's written on Twitter or something is sent by email, they find straight away. And nowadays, people prosecute. You've seen more people in courts now and more people sent to prison. And uh, they get fired from their jobs. Mainly, they're, they're people with mental illnesses. And um, they, don't, they don't have a lot, a lot going for them at all. But uh, this man is called here... Uh, what is his name? Frank Zimmerman. He's 60 He's 16, he's an internet troll, and he was found guilty the other day. And they're now going... He actually failed to turn up to court. This is for the third time, so next time they'll be dragging the poor little girl's blouse, screaming out of his home. Frank Zimmerman, 60, used this uh, computer to attack the mother of three, verbally abusing and threatening her. I mean, he's really not a very nice person at all. He said he couldn't go into court because he's agoraphobic. Let's drag you out, darling, let's drag you out. But um, uh, she didn't go to court either, so in fact he was sentenced... Uh, in his abstin- absence and found guilty, and I'm assuming now we'll just keep him in prison, because that's good, if he's agoraphobic, that'll be nice. He can stay in there, we can have the door shut and let him die in there, as far as we're concerned. Nobody's particularly bothered about people like that. So, uh, yesterday, uh, the police went to his squalid semi. It's always squalid, isn't it? You know, you're never going to be living in a luxury house. There are always people who are so down on their luck, they don't really know what to do. They haven't... They've got nowhere to turn, and they're very jealous of other people. So he would see her in the paper, and then he would write. I mean, obviously, really stupid, not realising that once you've got somebody's email, you have their internet address. Once you've got their internet address, you know exactly where it's registered. You know, the the, the the police deal with these on a regular basis, and it takes seconds. So that's why you see them appearing more and more in the courts now, and that's why we had that student, and we sent him to prison, because he was a racist. And you have to you have to deal with these people very quickly. So when he comes out, he will be shunned, and uh, hopefully the university that he's at will kick him out. And uh, perhaps he's, we get more people lying, saying, oh, it wasn't me, somebody else did it. And, of course, you can always tell. You can always tell with these sort of people. So, uh, so my, my thoughts on that for today are, that's good, we found him. Just embarrassing, he's a 60-year-old, but he lives in a squalid place. Because most of them, as I say, are sort of dirty and they smell and things like that. They can't help it. Steve at LBC.co.uk, 84850-0845-6060-973. Especially on the subject of this uh, of this fat woman, who's already been in the papers before. She's been in the papers because she was overweight and she's had a gastric band fitted. and um, And now she's, well, it's not really helped. She has lost a bit of weight, but she wants to lose more, and she thinks that the NHS should pay. And as far as I'm concerned, I think the NHS are paying. She says, I'll lose the flab, you know, if I have another 15,000. She's a miserable-looking thing, but then you would be if you were that fat, and she's got fat hanging off her arms and everything else. But she only weighs 20 stone. Now, to be honest with you, I don't think 20 stone in this day and age is that bad. She um, She does spend 600... She does oh sorry, she, she gets six hundred pounds a month benefits. Small wonder she's too bone idle and just sits there. And she eats chocolate and crisps every day. Well she says I have two packs of quavers and a chocolate bar. I do feel guilty about the money spent on me. Tam Fry of the National Obesity Forum says Laura ignored advice. The NHS came to her aid, now she's scrounging off the system. Oh absolutely, let that let, let, let the fat one, you know, sit at home and just balloon. Although, do we do we give her help? I don't know. I think we're all in two minds over it. One, one thing is you look at her and you just think, no, you're a waste of space. Get off your extremely fat bottom, get out there and get a job, and that will help you lose weight. Be cut down. If you see her coming into a shop near you, you know, just don't serve her. Chris, and we're not no, it's serving you that fatty. You have to tell people. There's no point in not telling them. You know, she's already had one operation, which I think was £8,000. That didn't work, so now she wants she wants another load of money spent on her. And I think the majority of people are saying I think there are more deserving people within the NHS, not uh, not a self-inflicted obesity problem. So if you want it, you pay for it. If you haven't got the money, just have to get fatter. Well, failing that, just do some exercise. Can't be that difficult. She's done her interview in Closer magazine. They paid you money. I tell you what, why don't you just get fatter and fatter and fatter and blow yourself up? You know, because it's obviously not working, is it? We're doing our best for you, but quite clearly, our best is not good enough. This is LBC 97.3. Jane, who's quite clearly an ace chav. Anybody who writes, babe, babe, you must be really common, really... All right, babe, all Right, babe, chick, God, gotcha, you must be... Ace chav, I'm afraid, love. It's not your fault, I mean, but nobody ever writes babe unless you're sort of, you know, you're in the remedial class at school. Uh, Steve, the reality shows are, in essence, about the presenters, be it Simon Cowell, Alan Sugar... Or uh, or Tom, I've got a new album out, Boyo Jones. Yes, of course they are. That's what you watch a programme for. You don't watch for anything else. You're watching for the presenters. If you watch X Factor, you're really watching Simon Cowell. You're watching him doing his fake act about. Oh, here's another one. And then we and we just think it's very well put together. That's all. That's all I think. That's all I think it is actually. And uh, Steve, there really is a dancing dog on Britain's Got Talent. No, there isn't. There isn't. That was in the last series. That was in the last series. It's not, uh, it's not, uh, it's not helping, actually. Um, Another one here. And this is um, just to confirm there is a, there is a new dancing act on Britain's Got. No, there's not. Honestly, you're all making it up, aren't you? Just to wind me up this morning. There's no dancing dogs on there at all. It's a nice, it's a nice thought. But that was the last series. I I mean, they wouldn't actually repeat dancing dogs, would they? You wouldn't have a dancing dog one series and then go down the same. You wouldn't, would you? Would you go down the same route again? You wouldn't go down the same route again. Oh, dear. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. D says, pardon me for being dumb, I'm not usually, but what is the law on libel and slander? What's the difference? Well, libel is the, uh, is the spoken word, and uh, slander is when it's, it's written about you. Although it, it varies on radio. On radio, you libel somebody, you don't slander them. You li- I'm sorry, I was just reading that one actually, and so it's just, it's just vanished. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Dee, I was halfway through reading your, uh, your, uh, thank you. So um, she says, uh, I've been receiving calls and mail with ludicrous but very hurtful and potentially damaging statements. It's upsetting. You go to the police, actually. You go to the police. If, it, if, it, if it's something you receive in the post, if, if it's published online, then you can definitely take somebody to court. But in fact, you can go to the police and report it as a, as a, a so-called hate crime you know it's uh, it's it's actually it, it's quite normal you just go to the police because unless you actually report it nothing's nothing's done about it so you have to do it and you have to go there and you have to you just report it it's a very simple thing to do you just go and report it and they will give you uh and they will give you a, a little number uh and, and well, as soon as you've got that that's fine and then they they'll normally contact the other person and they will say listen if you write any more of this then uh, we will take it further it's always uh it's it's always, it's it's good to do, but you need a you need a, a it's gone again. You need a crime number. You need a crime number. So that that's what you need. So go to the so go go to the police. Get the get the crime number, D, and then as soon as you've got that, then then you've got something. Because otherwise, if, if it goes further, then it's it's a bit difficult when when you go to the police. They say, well, how long has this been going on? So you must always always deal with it straight away. Okay, eight four eight five zero steve dot co dot uk and uh, we're f- finding out what we would do with the with the very large lady. Do we spend money, do we spend money, um, you know, having her lose weight, or do we just uh, say to her, listen, it's your own problem, you just have to get on with it, you just have to get on with it, and you've got to sort out, you know, all of your... Uh, all of your weight problem yourself, because it's little and often. It's no good going to the newspapers and selling a story. You've got to do something about it. You cannot rely on the NHS all the time just for, you know, just for sorting out a problem that you can't deal with. If you're weak, that's fine. But then you can go to the doctor, and the doctor will give you a diet sheet. You can't just be relying on on an operation. Also, I'm not sure whether or not at 20 Stone you would be considered too clinically obese for the NHS to offer you that particular operation. I know they've done them before and they've said to people, listen, you need to lose some weight. First of all, once you've lost the weight, then that's fine. If, if, if you don't lose the weight, then we won't do it. You've got to go down to a certain, certain level. The guy in The Unsinkable Molly Brown was uh, Harve Presnell, best known for being the only member of the cast in the Painter Wagon movie who could sing, but only got one number, which was They Call the Wind Mariah. He eventually re-kicked his career with straight roles in movies like Fargo. It's yes, I love Paint Your Wagon. In fact, do you know, the more you watch Paint Your Wagon, the more you realise what a bloody good movie it was. Absolutely excellent. Absolutely excellent. It was, it was one of those, those movies that stands the test of time. You know, some movies you watch and they look ancient, and then other movies you watch and you think, that is really good. That's so good. And because of, of when it was set and because it was, it was filmed half-light... It was it was excellent. I could I could watch that time and time again. Where are we with with petrol? Well, the petrol's getting through to the filling stations, but the papers have got pictures today of soldiers. Not that I thought we had any soldiers left actually, who are now discreetly training in how to operate petrol tankers in preparation for a strike. Now the only thing that worries me about this is if you operate a petrol tanker, and it doesn't matter whether you're a petrol tanker petrol tanker driver or a, or a troop. You've got to have the right licence. You cannot just drive petrol around the country. OK, so I'm assuming that these army bods must have the correct licence, not just HGV. You need HGV plus a separate bit of paper to say that you can handle dangerous chemicals. And so I'm assuming if they're in the army and they've got this, they know how to connect up the pipes because they've been doing it for ages within the army. So I'm not sure if they're training them to beat the petrol strike what they're training them, I mean, unless they're, they're training them and then they have to go and take the exam. I think it's, it's, it's about, somebody said to me the other week, it was, uh, is it about sort of a few weeks where you've got your HGV, then you go for this for this one-up thing, and that means that you can drive these lorries around. Whether or not we're going to be stopping... People delivering petrol and saying, do you have the right licence? I don't want people driving lorries around with uh, 56,000 litres of petrol on board, which are completely dangerous, and they've got no idea what to do in the case of an emergency. So the idea that troops are in training to beat the petrol strike is a little bit of an anomaly. I think they, they should have already been trained because they would do it in the army. I didn't think we had that many people in the army at the moment that we can actually take them take them away from that and start delivering BP fuel. But they, they're they there just in case there is a strike. If there is a strike, then they're going to be carrying on delivering. But, I mean, have we got enough people in the army who are free at the moment to actually go out there and start delivering petrol? I thought we were axing people left, right and centre. I didn't realise that, actually, at the end of the day, we've got loads of people sitting around in the army uh, who are able to drive petrol tankers. I think it's very don't you think unlikely? 84850 steve at lbc.co.uk Apparently, says Martin, there is a dancing dog. No, there isn't. Oh, dear me. I don't know. Everybody doing that. That's like saying they can't have a singer on this year's show because they'd won last year. It's a different No, it isn't. They haven't got a dancing dog on there. Ridiculous. Anna says, promise you, look it up at the computer. Don't believe you. Don't believe you. You're just making it up. Making it up. Uh, slander is spoken, libel is written. No, it's not actually. Unfortunately, that's the hard and fast rule. But radio, it's libel. It's not slander. It's radio. It's uh, it's uh, it's spoken, and that's and that's libel on the radio. So uh, there you go. You don't slander somebody on the radio. You libel them on the radio, which is always marginally more entertaining. Uh, rude writers, ladies apparently, enjoy reading bonkbusters. busters. And the reason you enjoy reading bonk busters is because they're a little bit rude. And the rudest writers are people like Jilly Cooper. Love Jilly Cooper. Jackie Collins, fabulous. I mean, you talk to Jackie Collins, she looks as though butter would not melt. And yet she can write this stuff. And, uh, and sometimes, sometimes she writes it. And I remember talking to her about it and saying, is it easy to write sex scenes? She says, yes. Yeah. She said, I just ask my friends. And they tell me. And so she writes it down. Shirley Conran. The uh, Another Fleet Street journalist. There's so many Fleet Street journalists who are writing this sort of stuff now. She made her name, I suppose, writing Superwoman, which was a 70s guide to being a working mother and a wife, and then spent 18 months researching a book on sex for girls, and then turned it into a steamy novel, and hence we got Lace. Uh, and Edwina Curry also writes... Um, Lots of rude things, based, of course, probably on experiences, I should imagine, in Edwina's case. I've never read any of Edwina's books. To be honest with you, I've never read a Jackie Collins, although I've done Jackie many, many times over the years. I've never read a Jilly Cooper, because I, I always think there's a market for these books, and I always thought that the market was predominantly ladies. I think if you ask the majority of ladies, have you ever read a Jackie Collins, they would probably say, yes, a Jilly Cooper, yes, because that's like this on the horsey set, but with sex thrown in. Shirley Conran, because that was seen as intelligent sex. Jackie was just showbiz sex, which was lots of drugs and lots of people with loads of money, and they're all called Tiffany and great names like that. And Edwina Curry, because it was was sort of modern day, modern day, I think, you know, it's. Uh, I, I would think there. She's sort of modern-day sex, and so she can write about sex in in politics. Unless of course. I mean, I don't know if you've read any of these books. Is that what you read them for? Do you read them because they're bonkbusters, or do you or do you read or do you read them because they're in the charts and you see her on television? I just wonder actually if people. Read these books because of the naughtiness. Because it's easy. I, I wasn't aware that. Well, I, I, perhaps it doesn't work the same for men. Doesn't work the same for men. Uh, about people writing things, saying you know, if, if, if you're if you're writing a sex scene, it's is it, is it as erotic writing about it? I don't know. Eight four eight five zero Stephen L B C. Doctor Nick in Norfolk says, why go on about Laura all the time? Because she's an easy target. No, she's she's sold her story. To the papers and uh, she's wanting I mean it's great, I mean I hope that you don't have anybody in your family that needs urgent operations because there's people like that out there taking money from the NHS, she wants £15,000 for this operation and unfortunately I mean you, you probably think differently Nick in Norfolk, you probably think that you know £15,000 let's spend it on the fat woman because uh, it doesn't matter about people with cancer or things like that. They just leave them to one side. So it's not an easy target. She's uh, she's the one who sold the story to the papers. We're just reflecting what everybody's saying and what they've been saying In fact, for the past uh, five hours on LBC that, uh, really, they don't want her to have the operation. It's as simple as that, I think, because it's a terrible waste of money. Uh, it's an ADR licence, says Barry on the A13. So do, do we think that the... Um, do we think, really, that... That all these soldiers have got this ADR licence? I don't think I don't think. I don't think so. Paint your wagon, number one for Lee Marvin. It was that was Wandering Star, wasn't it? Where he didn't he didn't really sing it as as actually talk it. He actually spoke it. I was born under reward. I loved it. It was such a good thing. You know, everything about it was just brilliant. Summed up a, a particularly good time. I couldn't remember the year. Somebody said it was 66. God, I thought it was later than 66. It's LBC 97.3. It's Wednesday morning. Just, It's Wednesday. We've had Monday. Monday was the bank holiday. You've got another one coming up, and I bet you all got frightened yesterday. If you're self-employed, you got that letter from the Inland Revenue through. And you looked at it and you thought, oh, my God, it's an investigation. That's your worst nightmare, isn't it? If you're self-employed and you tend to forget, it's them being nice and reminding you that if you're self-employed, you've got to file your tax returns by October. They like to tell you now, so just in case you've got an accountant, you go to them and go, it's October, is it? This is from April last year to April this year. That's what you're filing for, so you're paying a bit in advance. Hope you've saved your tax money. No excuses, remember. News is next with Sam Pittis. On FM. Morning, Wednesday morning in London town. Steve Allen's early breakfast, four minutes past uh, five. I'll give you the weather forecast in a moment. Nick in Bristol, no. Um, On radio, it's definitely liable. It's definitely libel. It's seen as the written word on radio. So it's libel on radio. Slander is spoken, but on radio, it's libel. You you don't slander somebody on radio, you libel them. Because it's seen as the written word. Don't ask me why, it just is. It's one of those strange anomalies which always upsets people. Um, One to avoid next week, says Paul. The ghastly Sarah Millican interviews. Even more ghastly. Rav, get your shirt off of the girls and some of the boys wilding. Dancing dogs? (laughs) Is it... it MI6? No. The B side of Wandering Star was Clint Eastwood singing I Talk to the Trees, who could actually sing. And Paint Your Wagon was 1969. Thank you for that. Yes, it was. You're quite right. I Talk to the Trees by Clint Eastwood. I think one of the only. T- Is it the only time that he's ever sung? I don't know why it was two two actually good songs on one record. I don't know how they manage that nowadays. I've started listening to a load of stuff. I was coming up in the lift this morning, and I and I I heard this record, and immediately I'm thinking that sounds really good. And it varies on what day it is as to what comes up in the lift. And this morning I was listening to. And I don't know. I don't know why it just got me. It was one of those things. I thought I want to hear that in the car, and it turns out to be something called "Beautiful People" by Chris Brown featuring Benny Benassi. And well, that's all I can tell you about it, but it was so good. And it, it, when, you, when you do it on Shazam, this is where if you hear a piece of music on the radio, you push the button on your iPhone and it listens to it and then it puts up the name of who it is singing. And it's, it's a brilliant source as far as I'm concerned. It's absolutely brilliant because it's so useful with with tracks you hear. If I'm listening to something on Classic FM and I've missed the beginning and I've missed the presenter telling me what it is and I've missed the end bit, then I like to sort of grab it halfway through and it'll it'll tell me the recording, the year it was done, where it's available, and it's it's a brilliant service. It's I mean it's absolutely fantastic. I absolutely love it. Uh re Bonkbusters in Faulty Towers, the Waldorf Salad episode, Sybil is reading a Harold Robbins book. Basil Ranson read. Yes the, she's sitting in bed reading it, isn't she? I think she's sitting in bed, and she got. Ooh. <laughs> yes, Harold Robbins was very good. The pirate was it? The pirate was Harold Robbins. I used to like Jacqueline Suzanne. She wrote books I thought appealed to everybody. She wrote a very good one called um, uh, Valley of the Dolls. Then there was a strange film that came out, a Russ Mayer film called Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Uh, but the dolls that Jacqueline Suzanne was talking about were pills and it featured uh, a singer, never too sure who it was supposed to be. I thought it was based on Judy Garland, a singer who sort of, you know, popped pills every five minutes of her life, you know, pills to wake up, pills to go to sleep, and she became a big star. And Jacqueline Suzanne... Wrote a very good book. I was going to get that book, actually. I've just realized because my godchildren have got a chocolate brown poodle. It's sort of a toy poodle, but it's actually, it's, I'm, I'm warming to it greatly. So it's, it's, it spends a lot of time sleeping, as do many dogs. But Jacqueline Suzanne wrote a very good book called Not Tonight Josephine, or Tonight Josephine. And Josephine was their chocolate brown poodle, which her husband absolutely hated when she brought it into the household, because she was quite sophisticated, Jacqueline Suzanne. I think she lived on Park Avenue, and she wrote these books, which were very, very successful. And so she wrote this book. Uh, there was one she wrote, which was called The Beauty Queen, uh, which I think was based on a woman called Anita Bryant. And then there was another one she wrote, which was loosely based on Jackie Kennedy. It was about the uh, a president and his very glamorous wife, and he gets shot, but the family have got no money, but she has to pretend she's got lots of money. So it's a very good book. And then she wrote Not Tonight, Josephine, detailing the arrival of this chocolate brown poodle in the household. And it was, it was just very funny. For anybody who'd ever had a dog, this would be the sort of dog that you would want. It, it went with them everywhere. Sadly, Jacqueline um, lost her life to cancer. But she left this fantastic legacy of books. Never read any of them, get them. But you're right about Harold Robbins. He was considered a bonk buster as well. But do people still buy them? Do people still buy the Harold Robbins books? Do people still go out there? And do people buy them if they are, if, if they are bonk busters? And does there have to be so much sex in books nowadays? I don't think people read anymore. I know that books come out and we talk about them on in conversation. But I just wondered. I thought most people downloaded them. I've downloaded tonnes of stuff to the iPad. Tons and tons of stuff. Um, Anna says, I'd love you to see the Dancing Dog. Would stop it with the Dancing Dogs? Honestly, it's ridiculous. Jonathan Islington says, I love it when you say, is is it MI5? Which was lovely Daphne in... um in uh, Eggheads, it's just, she knows the answer to everything, even, even when they sort of, they throw it over from the other side, she knows the answer, she'd be very infuriating in a pub quiz, I should imagine they wouldn't let her in, they'd probably say, no, you're, you're definitely not going to be here for the pub quiz, I'm afraid, Uh, er, Painter Wagon, one of my all-time favourite films, says Stephen Bridlington, we're talking about uh, films that make you cry, There's a survey in the paper today from an online supplier talking about films, and apparently it's slightly different films that make women cry than make men cry. Whereas some men, and I include myself, can cry at just about anything. It it doesn't matter what the film is, if it's sad, and I mean, even E.T. makes you cry. I don't know why it makes you cry. I can't quite work it out. I was sitting down trying to analyse it the other day, not for very long, and I was sitting there thinking... Why do you cry at E.T.? And I think it's because when when he dies, or you think he dies, and then he comes back to life, it's a bit cheering, isn't it? It's the kind of thing you wish. It's like all those people who sort of wake up on, on a mortuary slab. We've had lots of cases of that where the, where somebody's thought somebody's died, so they've taken them to the mortuary and then they've woken up under a sheet. That must be a bit frightening for people. You wake up in the middle of the night, you go, oh, my God. And you think, now, that, that would probably make you cry. With, with depression, I should imagine. With depression. Uh, there's a woman jailed in the papers today. Her name's Caroline Patterson. She's been given a 30-month sentence for stealing from a kind pensioner. This is her 207th conviction. She's been convicted 207 times. And when the, uh, the judge sentenced her, she went cushty, easily done. She's quite clearly just a, a, a compulsive thief. She can't do anything. And um, so she's had theft, fraud, assault, drugs. This time she stole from a pensioner. She comes from Newcastle. She had well over 100 convictions for stealing and dishonesty. And there had been a string of suspended prison sentences, curfew, supervision. I mean, why don't they just send her to prison for a long, long time? Well, that way, then, you don't need to worry about it. If she's only going to prison for, for 30 months and she goes, ah, oh, cushy, easily done, she'd just come back out and just carry on doing what she was doing before. It's obviously not, well, I don't think it is, a deterrent... I don't think prison is a deterrent nowadays, because some people quite enjoy it in there. They haven't got to worry about getting themselves ready or food or anything like that. It's all provided for them. You get television. You get quite a nice, cushy little life. So she's probably right. It is a little bit cushy. Unless, of course, you think differently. Oh eight four five six oh six oh nine seven three. Have you ever had tea in a London hotel? They've done a feature today saying it's terribly expensive. I think what they they're, they're trying to avoid saying is it's a rip-off. Because if you analyze how much it costs a pot of tea, a glass of champagne, a few finger sandwiches and some little cakes cannot cost 80 or 90 pounds. The answer is it doesn't, but you're paying for the fact you're in lovely surroundings. If you if you're having it in Burt's Transport Cafe, they're going to pitch it at the right at the right sort of price, aren't they? It'd probably, be, you know, like 4 pound 20. But if you're going to go to the Dorchester, the Savoy, the Inn on the Park, they will all, all offer afternoon tea, with prices varying from around £29 up to about £90. And you pay for what you get. I've done the Dorchester a couple of times now, and it's a really lovely tea. It's nice surroundings, it's very laid-back, it's a little bit posh. You do feel a little bit, you know, on edge, you're frightened to sort of drop anything and hold your teacup properly and eat your sandwich, don't shove them all in your mouth, because they're little tiny sam. they're like finger buffet. And finger buffet is really fab. And then the cakes are all little cakes and the petit fours come out. I mean, you could eat the sandwiches for the rest of time because they're just nice because they've cut the crusts off. I don't know why that makes it posh, but cutting the crusts off bread makes it posh as far as I'm concerned. So you go there and they bring it out and it's got the little cake rack and the little, oh, it's just, it's wonderfully done, but it's blooming expensive. That's why most people stick it on credit card. I bet the staff, there go, this'll be a credit card. I bet they have bets on who's actually cash and who's doing credit card. This'll be a credit card. This'll be credit card, definitely. I saw somebody paying on credit card the other day. £2.78. £2.78. I didn't quite see what was the point of putting that on credit card. £2.78. I thought most people would have £2.78. But people buying a sandwich first thing in the morning tend to put it on a card. Uh, Marie says it was... Uh, Lee Marvin did sing Wandering Star, but not speaking it. Um, well, it, it was... It, he didn't really... He, Wheels are made for rolling, mules are made But He didn't actually sing it as such. It was a spoken song. Telly Savalas did If. I remember that one, yes, because on the other side was um, a, a rude song, I think. Was it Telly Savalas? Yeah, they used him. <laughs> they used Telly Savalas's voice on a record. And it was, I think, the B-side of If was called Butch Soap. And it was very funny. It was, it was a couple, <laughs> couple of people in a recording studio going, um, OK, Terry. And they, they, they were doing it in this sort of cod camp way, a little bit sort of David Walliams. And they got Telly Savalas to sing Butch Soap. That's all they wanted. him. If was, I think, taken from, you know, If a Picture Paints a Thousand... Wasn't it that one? Was it that one? But uh, when he did Butch Soap, that was the funniest thing on the other side. It really was, everyone's happy with Butch Soap. But done in Telly Savallis' inimitable way had uh, had a a bar named after him in a hotel in Los Angeles and used to stay over here at the Royal Garden Hotel because he came in he was a guest on LBC when we were down in in Hammersmith all those years ago so we're talking about uh, heartbreakers films that make you go ooh mm, like that Marley and Me says Tony I've really got to, I've got to watch it I've got the film but it's it's about a bloke and a dog isn't it not another bloomin'. I mean, don't tell me it dances. I couldn't bear it if it dances. So, it's about it dances. Oh, how lovely. Does it die at the end? Is that why it's sad? Oh, God, well, it's been out for ages. Does the dog die? Yes. OK, right. Well, that's ruined it for everybody, is not it? Oh, how miserable are you today? So, that's, that's why it's sad. You see, if anything dies, it's, it doesn't really. It's only pretend in the film. But probably in real life, it probably did. I'm going to watch it, actually, now. In ET, he goes home, by the way, I just thought I'd just like ruin that one for you as well today. And in Coronation Street, who's gonna be dead next? Most of them with a bit of luck. It's <laughs> just getting from bad to worse. So I think I might watch Marley and me today. Because i and I'm not keen on the bloke who's in it. I'm not keen I'm not keen on Owen Wilson. I don't know why. It just he was one of those irritating kind of actors. And I was sort of thinking to myself, do I wanna do I wanna watch yeah, I'll watch it. I'll watch it. I've got all these films which I bought and I never watched. I'm sitting there thinking, but you've got to be in the right frame of mind. If you're going to watch a film that is traditionally, you know, sad, you're not going to sit there if you're in the feeling in the best frame of mind. You've got to sort of take yourself down to that level. So what, what, what are the heartbreakers for you? 0845 6060 973 84850 or steve at lbc.co.uk. News headlines with Sam Pittis. Thank you, Steve. Good morning. The UK Border Agency's biggest been- conversation with Steve Allen. I love the idea of the Gran of 87, who's in the papers this morning. Second person we've had in the last couple of days who's been given an ASBO for blasting out a lot of very loud music. Apparently, she also uh, used to bang on the wall with a stick and everything else. Apparently, she was blasting out Glenn Miller and Frank Sinatra very loudly. She comes from Gosport in Hampshire, and she admitted flouting a noise abatement order. She was given a conditional discharge on order to pay £500 costs. But she's 87... I mean, I'm, I'm assuming at 87 she might be partially deaf and that's why she's had to sort of turn the volume up. But it could be quite annoying, couldn't it? If you're a neighbour and you've had 13 months of misery. And there you are, she's nearly deaf as she sort of blared out the crudest hits day and night. Chris Adams, who's one of the neighbours, said it was absolute hell but her daughter, this is, the, uh, this is the ground of 87's daughter, who is 58, said she needed help. She didn't need an ASBO. That's what she was banging on the wall for. Hello, somebody come and help me. Poor soul. I quite like the idea of blasting out Glenn Miller. That'd be very good indeed. Uh, There's a boozy benefits cheat mum here. £38,000 she robbed from you. £38,000. And uh, the reason they've not sent her to jail is because they've said uh, she was down to two pints of cider a day. She pretended to be a single parent. She claimed income support. Does nobody check these things? You know, when somebody goes in there and they go, I'd like to... um, uh, start claiming benefits because I'm a single parent and I want uh, incapacity allowance and I want this and I want that and, and, and we hand over the money. Does nobody go around and check or do they not have anything in place for checking? Because there are more and more of these cases where people have got away with it for years until either a neighbour shops them or a close friend or somebody with a grievance and they go to the council and they say, listen, this been And then they start investigating. But it's a slow process. I've seen them doing it on the television. There was a woman who was running a cafe... And she claimed that she was bedridden. Why nobody ever put the two people together? I've got no idea. So she claimed she was bedridden. Every time the council went round, she was sitting there in a wheelchair, with with blankets all around her and a pair of dark glasses on, looking a little bit like the uh, the character that they had in Faulty Towers when they were trying to pretend that Sybil was very ill, because in fact it wasn't Sybil at all. And and she was, but, but by daytime she was getting up and running a cafe, helped by the council in her local park. And it took them ages to get hold of this woman who'd been ripping the state off for goodness knows how many years. So this woman here, they said um, she had been going through a difficult time. This seems to be the excuse nowadays. They'll always find, you know, lawyers or solicitors to go, listen, they've had a very difficult childhood. It was very, very difficult indeed. And and so for that reason, we're not going to send her to prison. So she's been given a five-month suspended sentence. But what I want to know is, can we get the money back? That's all we want back. I couldn't care less what happens to them. We just want the money back that these people have have taken. Julie says, uh, E.T. Phone Home. Still everybody's favourite film. And yet, strangely, does not feature in this list of films which make you cry. The Notebook is number one. The Notebook, a film I'd never even heard of, is the one that's actually got you um, weeping for women. Men go for something else. They, they still like Marley and Me, and, and they like load of other films, but E.T. wasn't on the list. It's two teachers and a school admin worker, incidentally, who call themselves the Three Amigos, who are among the winners of the US Mega Millions jackpot. 656 million, but uh, all they get is £35 million, pounds, a lump sum. They will share a third of the pot, which leaves them with £22 million. Pounds. So, in other words... The, i don 't know if that 's twenty two minutes that's sixty six million for them and I think there's somebody else there 's a woman in her twenties, a man in his forties, and a woman in her fifties they 've chosen to remain anonymous, so they get sixty six million but but the jackpot originally was six hundred and fifty six million and I think there is um there's two other people i mean it 's good for you know to be honest with you, i mean there's nothing to be nothing to be sniffed at as if you 're going to get twenty two million pounds but when you think that the original jackpot was £656 million, but because of the taxes and everything else, it comes down quite a bit. And that's when, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult, actually. It's very, very difficult uh, for, for people there to actually try and work out what you're going to do with that much money. If somebody comes to you, if you've not got much money, and goes, you've now got 22000000 million, they're, they're planning on coming to Europe, It's quite nice, anonymously. I'd start checking ports. Uh, a true tearjerker film, says Natalie, The Imitation of Life. Two versions. One filmed in 1934, starring Claudette Colbert, and the other, 59, starring Lana Turner. An emotionally charged story about two widows who were best friends, one white and the other black, and their troubled daughters. Imitation of Life. See, everybody's got films that I've never heard of. There's so many good films that come out, and I miss them, and then somebody goes, you really should have seen this film, because it's a real a real tearjerker." So uh, we're looking this morning for your nominations as uh, The Notebook hits the number one slot for people as as a true joker. Marley and Me, or Marley and I, or whatever it is, uh, is in there together with Schindler's List, which, I mean, is such a good film. I think it's the twist at the end of Schindler's List where you've watched this film and you've watched actors playing parts when uh, Steven Spielberg brings on the remaining people. Uh, who are part of Schindler's List, they were the people that the very film was made about, and they come on and uh, they lay stones on Oscar Schindler's grave, and they've got Oscar Schindler's widow, they've got all sorts of people, and they just sort of come out there and they put captions up underneath, and that's when it it kind of hits home that it's a real story. They're not not made up. These people really do exist. Uh, Brian says, A film that made me cry, a British film called Mandy, about a deaf girl. That was Mandy Miller who went on to have a hit single with Nelly the Elephant, and she played um, a girl who was being taught how to speak again. That was very good. Very good film. It's a very old film. I'm not even sure if it's still available. I'm sure it must be. Denise in Blackheath says there's a DVD set out of Anne of Green Gables... And from the moment it starts, I'm in tears, because it's so so beautifully done. It's That was a girls' film, wasn't it? Anne of Green Gables. I think people liked the idea that girls all went out and went, oh, well, flippity-doo. You know, what are we going to do today? Saddest film. It's the final scene in a church in Shenandoah, says Sue. Shenandoah. <laughs> uh, another one here. Uh uh, the saddest film I've ever seen is Waiting for the Telegram with Thora Heard by Alan Bennett. Not really a film, but an episode. Can't watch it without crying. It's very sad, says Alan, who's residing poor soul in, uh, in Brentwood. And, uh, watching the King's speech on my own, says Sarah, cried all afternoon. See, I never cried at the King's speech. I thought it was good, but, uh, never sobbed at it. Lisa sobbed at the day they gave the babies away. It's a very, very good film. Very, very good film. I love it, actually. It's a good one. I bought a copy the other day which I think was for distribution in Japan. It's English, but it does have Japanese uh, subtitles which are available if you click the right button. But it's a very good copy. I've had a couple of uh, dodgy copies which i bought before which look like somebody's just copied them from a television programme. 84850, Steve at LBC. The Notebook Makes Me Cry, Have You Seen It? No, never even heard of it. Never even heard of it before. And... um, it's a shame that when the little person said kushti the judge didn't turn round says Kev the Milman and say 30 months sorry I meant 30 years I do beg your pardon I don't do weepies but the poor long suffering uh, watches the true movie channel weepies all day oh dear is that what it is it is that what she's watching now <laughs> is it weep I'm not sure I could go a whole uh, whole day of watching weepy films <laughs> I tend to find it quite exhausting Kathy says my hubby cries watching the green mile that's very good That is a very, very good, very, very good film, actually. I didn't know what it was about when I first started watching it. And then I just loved it. I thought it was really bizarre. Very bizarre. Favourite film, uh, Emma with Betty Davis, number one. Poor Little Rich Girl by about uh, the, uh, the granddaughter of the Woolies founder. Actually, I looked at a house the other... Strangely enough, you should mention that. I'm driving through Regent's Park the other day in London, and there is a beautiful house which is very, very near the zoo. And it's owned by the American Embassy. It's where the American ambassador to London lives. And it's the most beautiful house you've ever seen. It's over the road from a lot of little mansions. There's about five of them along the, uh, the banks of the Regent's Park Canal. And when they first put them up, they were £25 million each. And people will I mean, now I should imagine there must be £60 million at least. Because you're in the park and it's very private and they're lovely mansions. But then over the road is the ambassador's mansion. And, uh, and I said to a friend of mine, I said, oh, that's really lovely, that house. It just looks beautiful. And he said, it used to be owned by the Woolworths heiress, F.W. Woolworths, the heiress, who had a house in Palm Beach, and she gave it to the American government. So I remember thinking, my God, these people have got money. I think the Sultan of Brunei, or one of his um, brothers or something like that, has also got a house as you walk around Regent's Park, and that's enormous. But he's never there. They own all these properties, but they never seem to be there, which is a shame. Tony says, the story to Marley and Me is what gets you, not the stars. The dog doesn't dance. Once you've seen it, you'll tell people about it. The end is where your eyes go to pot. Never happened to me over a film before. All right, I'll, I'll definitely watch it. Definitely watch it. Irene in Glasgow. I won't do the accent for you. Says, the film that has me in tears is Somewhere in Time with Christopher Reeve. A love story with a dreadfully sad ending. Why do we like them? Why do we like sad endings? What is it about sad endings in films that we sort of watch them and you think, oh, dear, it's so depressing. Steel Magnolias. Uh, Steve, says uh, Rusty and Finchley. Yes, I cried at Steel Magnolias. I went to the royal premiere of that. Princess Diana was there and Daryl Hannah and loads of people. Oh, wonderful film. And they had the orchestra playing the theme. Oh, it's wonderful. I can watch it now and and well up. I just love the music. I want to go and live in that town. But I think that it wouldn't be... uh, it wouldn't be that pleasant to live there. It was just one little bit of it. But uh, also, Dolly Parton was magnificent. Well, part of her was magnificent. She played... Uh, because it's touring again. Steel Magnolias is touring in this country. Denise Welsh is touring in it, and let's hope forever. So she doesn't come back on Loose Women. The Julia Roberts character passed away in the film. Incidentally, Robert Mitchum recorded his only album of songs in 1967. Good Lord, Robert Mitchum. Uh, Anna Maria. The film that made me sob was The Elephant Man. Oh, really? See, that didn't do a thing for me, I'm afraid, the Elephant Man. I just felt sorry for him. I, felt and I always remember that story that when Michael Jackson came over to the country, he wanted to buy the Elephant Man's skeleton, apparently. I mean, there are some skeletons you'd want to buy and some, you know, you wouldn't want to buy. But I, I don't think I'd want to buy the Elephant Man's skeleton. And I think it was on offer. I think if, if the price had been right... I think the uh, the college hospital because they kept it because it was because it was such an oddity and because of the shape of his bones. And Michael Jackson went for a private viewing. I don't know; he could go for a private viewing and, uh, and and made them an offer. I think they politely declined it. Thank goodness. that would be popping up in a in an auction in America, wouldn't it? Actually, I'm surprised there's not been loads of Michael Jackson stuff up for auction. We've had the Elizabeth Taylor stuff. There must be some Michael Jackson things coming up. I know this warehouse is full of stuff which people have bought over the years. One particular guy, and he's got everything from the early days of the Jackson 5. We're talking this morning about, oh, have you started stockpiling stamps? The 40% price rise is looming. Get your stamps now, because you can buy them at the old price, and long-term, you'll save lots and lots of money. There's our handy hint of the day. And have you had tea in a posh London hotel? Where was it, and how much did it cost? It's LBC 97.3. Time now, 5.30. 27 minutes to... Uh, Is that from upstairs? <laughs> Is that from upstairs? I can hear that. Is that when you're doing that upstairs? Oh, right, no, I could hear from upstairs. I'm just saying, I think I've got a ghost in the studio, because I know a they used to... Injury, just bumping
1: into that microphone.
0: Well, now you can miss it, I've got no idea. But it, but I could hear the keyboard moving by itself this morning, and I was, I was sitting here thinking, perhaps I'm hearing something. And I could hear the keyboard moving, and Sam said he just did it then, but I'm sure I could hear it when he's not in the studio. I could hear this keyboard, and I'm thinking... I keep taking my headphones off to look around the studio... I'm definitely convinced we've got poltergeists in here now. Apparently, Marley does dance in this film. God, another dancing dog. Owen Wilson comes home from work and sees the dog dancing with Jennifer Aniston. I think that's a court case, isn't it, really? I don't think dogs should dance with people. It's just not normal. Apparently, it's very heartwarming. I don't know. I mean, Actually, vaguely, something in the back of my mind tells me that's true because I remember in one of the clips from it, seeing a clip on television, does he see it through the window? He sees her dancing? I thought so because I remember... Because I've not seen this film. It's still sealed in plastic. But there was a clip on the television of it. It must have been on something else. On another film I watched, there went Owen oh, coming up in this season, Marley and Me. And, and I si- seem to remember him sort of walking up the path or standing there, looking through the window, and she's dancing with the dog backwards and forwards. So there you go. So the dog does dance. Another dancing dog, ladies and gentlemen. You know how much I love them. At uh, The ending of the Glenn Miller story, when the band plays Little Brown Jug, says Dee. That was ever so sad. Who was the actress in the Glenn Miller story? Who was the actress in the Glenn Miller story? Because she had one of those voices, and uh, which was very, very distinctive. I can't remember what her name is. I can picture her that June Allison. June Allison died a short while ago, but she had a very distinctive voice. And in the Glenn Miller story, he'd been killed, but they'd recorded uh, a Christmas show. He'd recorded the Christmas show, but his plane had come down and he was lost. And so she had to sit there listening to the concert... And I thought she was great. She was one of those good actresses. We had some great actresses in this country. You know, Beaches, Steve. It's amazing how uh, Beaches... see, I never, I never liked Beaches. Sean is in Maidstone. I suppose if you're in Maidstone, Beaches is actually quite sad. But it's, about, it's a woman dying of cancer, isn't it, I think? Uh, John in Upminster goes for the railway children. Daddy, my daddy! Very sad, very sad that kind of that kind of makes most of us go a bit goose bumpy i 'm afraid and if i and if I watch that till i 'm one hundred and ninety, it will be the film that does it for you, and I always remember because I think they overdubbed the voices and um and and in the end when when her daddy comes home, daddy, my daddy, and she 's met him at the railway station, and they walk slowly up the lane, and then the kids come running out of the house and she goes Shh. and she I think we shall leave them to discuss things, and we shall go. We shall go to the field and we shall sit there. And it's so, the best bit for me is not just the daddy, my daddy bit, which freaks people out. But it's when she goes and sits on the uh, the fence with all the kids and the train comes around the corner and everybody's waving. Everybody's waving. And that, I thought, that just got me going. I thought that was a really, really good bit. Craig in Thamesmead, he says, don't mock me. But the film that makes me blub is Arthur, with Helen Mirren and Russell Brand. Mirren's character's death always gets me. Don't forget Bambi, too. I know, Bambi and her mother going like that. I mean, that was a bit sad, wasn't it? Oh, dear. So it's all these these tragic, tragic films. Uh, Sophie says the ambassador's house is called Winfield House. It's lovely. I used to work at the American Embassy. Winfield, of course, was the brand that Woolworths used. Always remember the red neon lighting outside Woolworths, F.W. Woolworth, and then it came down to Woolworths, and they did away with the red lighting, which was a shame, really. So it was called Winfield House, or is called Winfield House. Uh, William Shatner mentions the complete works of Jacqueline Suzanne and the novels of Harold Robbins in a Star Trek movie, says James. In Reading. Thank you. Mary says, Marley and Me and P.S. I Love You are better as books. A film that got me years ago was Run Wild, Run Free with Mark Lester. It's about a dumb boy's relationship with a horse. Cry, cry, cry. See, that's good, isn't it? Isn't it funny how we like crying? Isn't it funny how we do like crying? One of my friends, has got, she's got these cats, as you know. And this is, this is the poor woman who, she's, she's got a cat flap... Whether she had a cat flap before, I don't know. But she's got a cat flap. And so the cat brings back a squirrel. She doesn't know anything about it. See, I can definitely hear something in the studio. I can hear something going on. Very odd, on a computer. Perhaps we've got poltergeist here. But anyway, so she she wakes up. She's got this squirrel, but it's minus a leg. The the cat had eaten the the squirrel's leg. And she said, quite clearly, it must have been alive at some point. (laughs) Anyway, the other day, mice. Two mice they bring in. Two mice. Chasing them around the bedroom, and then eventually they, they get them. Oh, I can't think of anything worse. It would drive me mad. How do you... If you've got cats, how do you stop them going out? there killing the local wildlife. All the mice must be living in fear. Must be round the going, the cats are out again. Run, run for your lives. 84850, uk, And, um, you need to, uh, you need to tell me your favourite... Weepy film. It's the film that just gets you going, I'm afraid. Uh, 84850, stevedlbc.co.uk. And um, we shall weave them all in, because some of them I'm familiar with. Some films I'm not not particularly familiar with. Oh, wow, we've got loads on here to get through. Those of your uh, emails, thank you. Let me do the weather for you, first of all, because I know it's one of those days. Yesterday uh, didn't rain, and I was going to go down to Reading... And I thought, I need to go to Reading, so I need to do a little bit of shopping. And so I, I get in the car, and we've got roadworks. There's roadworks over They put a set of traffic lights in next to the Garrick Theatre here, for reasons best known to themselves. It's, it's obviously, let's dig up London time yet again. But in Twickenham, we've got them coming up to the Green, where they're digging up three quarters of the road. So that's slowing people down. Then at the very end, they're, they're doing something as you go onto the uh, the roundabout, heading up towards Staines. And then I'm driving out there, and <laughs> I'm listening to LBC, and on the travel... Comes and avoid the M4 because it's very busy at the moment. And I'm thinking, oh, I hope they're wrong. I hope you know you do. You do think that when you're listening to the travel on LBC with Andy or whoever or Joanne, whoever it happens to be, you think maybe they're fibbing, (laughs) maybe they're not right. And so I drove down there and then I hit it, slap bang in front of traffic. And so I was I was talking to a friend of mine. On the phone, and I said, "Oh, I've got to get off this." Road. I said, "It's not worth going to Reading." I said, "I don't want to sit on the M4 in traffic because it's probably roadworks a bit further up, and I just can't be bothered." So I turned around and came all the way back home again. So I used a quarter of a tank of petrol going absolutely nowhere. But luckily, it didn't rain. But the forecast for today: sunrise is at six thirteen. It's now twenty to six. Uh, Sunny spells with showers later, some could be heavy. It's what they said yesterday, and we didn't get them unless they happened overnight. The high 14 degrees centigrade, currently it's 5. Tonight, scattered showers continuing. Showers becoming isolated overnight, with most parts dry, with clear spells. Minimum 3 centigrade tomorrow. Sunny spells, heavy showers. And Friday to Sunday, sunshine at times, with the chance of heavy showers, with hail possible. Well, there's a nice thought on that one. Thank you so much for that. So now we're going to get hail as well. And I've decided that the plants I bought from Hampton Court Palace, the wallflowers, are definitely coming out. Only some of them look as though they survived. The rest look as though they've been they've been eaten by the frost, I'm afraid, which is not very good at all. Uh from Graham who says, lovely to hear you mention the Tele Sivalis if track. Do you remember Yin and Yan doing a great takeoff? Yes, absolutely. Those are the ones I remember. Those are the ones I remember. Little Julie says, um, the foreign language film that won an Oscar called Life Is Beautiful about a father pretending that whilst being held in prison camp, it's all a game, so his son isn't scared. Well, I like that idea. See that, that? I quite like some of these little little films. And uh, Marley and Me is on television this Sunday again. Says Paul Owen Wilson, not the best in it. However, I shall record it at nine because I will be listening to Clive Bull, the excellent Walkabout with Jenny Agutter and the Aboriginal actor. Yes, Jenny Agatha went topless, didn't she, in Walkabout? Always, always traumatised me a little bit. I couldn't quite cope with Julie Andrews going topless, I'm afraid, let alone Jenny Agatha. And I remember it caused a sensation, rather like when Daniel Radcliffe gave of his Equus. We did like Daniel Radcliffe. We really did, actually. He says, by the way, I must be getting old, when the only Shazam I was ever aware of was the instrumental track by, I think, Jet Harrison, Tony Meehan. Yes. My nomination, you already know, Steve. Got to be Goodbye, Mr Chips. Just the music. And thanks to Chris, we now know the words. Do you know, I've hung on to those. Robert Donat, and of course, Not Peter O'Toole with Pet Clark, which wasn't very good at all. I agree with you. I agree. The Robert Donat version with music by Richard Adensall. And now we've got the, the lyrics. Makes even more sense, doesn't it? Uh, I'm still traumatised, says Jan, by Bambi. Saw it when a child. I'm now 63. Still traumatising you. Uh, one here. Last film I cried at, says Danny, was City of Angels after I laughed at my wife crying at it, and then thought I'd watch it, and I cried even more than she did. You wuss. You wuss. I like it when people cry. I do like it when people cry. I just think it's me. I'm totally convinced it's me half the time. Uh, John in Malaga. For years, I lived about 50 yards from a man who was on the Titanic. He never spoke of it, nor did his son, who was a real pal of mine. I found out 40 years later, just like my grandad, who never spoke of his time in the First World War or the Spanish Civil War. Some people don't talk about things, do they? They, they keep them very private. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk, and, uh, this is one that says, uh, who's this? This is weepy film from John. He says, A Night to Remember, I wonder why about the Titanic, I wonder why. yeah, I still find it fascinating. It's still, I don't care what anybody says. Uh, owned by Barbara Hutton, the Woolworths heiress, once married to Cary Grant, says Ken in London, the US Ambassadors. That's Winfield House. It's a lovely house, it really is. They did a feature on its gardens a short while ago in Country Life, and it was it was just wonderful. Uh, lovely morning to you. It's uh, Karen says it's 7am and 21 degrees in Kuwait. Wow. Doocy notebook. Beautiful story of true love. We like true love. I never believe it, but, uh, but it's out there, so uh, we will talk about it. I don't know if you watch the Hairy Biker's... Is it vacation last night? They were in Austria, starting off in Vienna, and uh, that included a trip to a Heuriger. They continued their journey, says Sarah, uh, throughout Austria, including Linz, Salzburg, and a place in Styria, but not Graz. The most interesting part, they were talking about the Saka Torte and the fact there are three versions now. The original from the Hotel Sacker, a rival from another hotel and a modern upstart produced by a French chef. They also made uh, Linzer Torte. Everything looked delicious. Everywhere they went, they seemed to be enjoying every moment and they even tried yodelling. Brought back many memories of when I was working for Austrian Airlines. Try and see the programme if you can. Thank you, Sarah, very much indeed. Yes, yeah, Saka Torte is quite big. The Hotel Sacker is just on the left-hand side as you enter the Kirtnerstrasse, which is just to the right of the Opera House, and uh, as I said, nothing. I could go back there tomorrow, and nothing will have changed in Vienna. I said yesterday to that lady in uh, in Vienna, it's uh, fr- from Vienna that it, it doesn't change. It stays exactly the same. You could walk round Vienna; there'll be the same shops there. It's 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 absolutely amazing. <laughs> Saddest film for me, says Trevor. Is my life with Michael Keaton and Nicole Kidman? Keaton is diagnosed with cancer and might not live to see their baby born, so he makes a series of home videos to immortalize his life. It's all, it's all films where people die, isn't it? That make us make us weep a bit. This is after this survey came out saying that Notebook was the was the top weepy. That was the, the top weepy film for people who sort of just um, just sort of watched it and just went Ooh, and cried all the way through it. Which I don't mind. I don't mind people crying. I like people crying. I like people crying, and it just goes to prove that the filmmakers have still got it. If they want to manipulate you, they blooming well can. Mind you, sometimes I cry at documentaries. You just cry at how beautiful some some parts of the country are, or when uh, Mr Attenborough goes off and does all his stuff. Just fantastic. Just fantastic. Quarter to six. We'll try to work out who would take over from Robert Mugabe when he dies after reports came in a couple of days ago that he was close to death. Government ministers... Uh, in Zimbabwe, have, uh, have said that it's just wishful thinking. He's not close to death. Yes, you're right, it is absolutely wishful thinking. They claimed he was fit as a fiddle. Oh, what a shame. And claimed he was only there on holiday, an even bigger shame. But uh, he's 88. I think the truth be known, he probably is in hospital. He probably is dying. Just needs a little push over the edge. And we were trying to work out who would take over. We now know it's the ruthless defence minister, Emerson Mwanga who apparently was the, uh, the person who once ran the country's notorious spy agency, nicknamed the Crocodile. I don't know, out of the frying pan, into the fire again. You just feel so sorry for the people over there when you've got some despot like, um, like Robert Mugabe. You can only hope that uh, he's sort of taken as soon as possible. Stephen Bridlington says, if you could watch one film for the rest of your life, what would it be? Mine would be the original Jaws. You know, I wasn't sure about that. I've got a fear about water it 's one of those strange i don 't have a fear of baths or anything like that. I have a fear of of being of swimming somewhere and something coming up from the deep and grabbing you. You know you get these dreadful stories from from Australia where people have been out swimming, and all of a sudden these great whites hurtle up from the depth, because they've seen a shadow. It could be somebody... They probably think it's a seal or something like that. And they hurtle up from the depths, and they grab at whatever is in front of them, and that's the, then they realise what it is, and then they sort of kind of leave it, I think. So they often often discover sort of these poor surfers, minus their limbs. And that's the only thing that frightens me. So I don't think Jaws would be it, because when I saw the film originally... I can't remember if I thought that the thing looked real or if it didn't. I went on the Universal studio tour, and halfway through there... The bridge collapses as you're going on the little railway, sort of dips down in the middle, and Jaws comes out. But then as you're driving away from it, you see it sinking down beneath the water and going round on its little rails again. It's quite good. I mean, it's very well done. I quite like the theme parks in the States. They do them so much better than we do, because they're just bigger, and they've got the, uh, the weather, which is, which is really nice. Uh, on the subject of sad films, The Boy in the Striped Pyjamas... A sad film set in World War Two. He has a friendship with a Jewish boy, the lad is German, but because he's eight years old, he doesn't realise the consequences of what would happen to his friends. He sneaks off to play with his friend, but doesn't realise he's in the gas chamber. The boy's father, who's a German officer, realises too late his son is in there and his son dies. I was mes- mesmerised and cried. It's a great film, The Boy in the Striped Pyjamas. If you've never seen it, it's it's a really... A really, really good film. Uh, saddest films, <laughs> Darren and Lester says the saddest films I've ever seen are the ones with Madonna in them. They're all very sad indeed. I know, dreadful, isn't it? Really, when somebody can't act and can't deliver lines, it's it's, it's not not just sad. It's more tragic, I think, than sad. <laughs> Bit of a shame. Uh, An affair to remember, starring Kerry Grant and Deborah Kerr, says Howard in Harrow. Uh, I couldn't get over seeing Dumbo. And watching his mum die in the circus camp, says Mark. (laughs) Oh, well, there you go. I haven't seen that. Uh, I went to see Titanic in 3D. Most people in the cinema were in tears at the end, says uh, says Jeremy. Really? I didn't think there was anything to be sad about in Titanic at all. I really didn't. Uh, Men who worked on the Titanic wouldn't speak about it because women and children died who should have had their seat. Um, yes, there was, I mean, they they didn't have, what was the story about the Titanic? They only had, I think there was something like 3,000 people on board in total, but they only had seats on the lifeboats for something like 1,516, I think. Angela says, somebody told me, if you put a bell around the cat's neck, the mice can then hear them coming. How true that is, I don't know, as I've never had a cat for that very reason. I couldn't cope, even though I love cats, uh, if I visit friends that do have them. So a bell... Well, my friend might might go for that idea. A little bell on that could be quite... Mind you, sometimes it might drive the cat mad. And also, cats are very good, aren't they, at sort of stopping still and just being... and just watching, and all of a sudden, then they just jump. So the last thing the little mouse might hear would be the bell ringing. <laughs> Not good. Um, I dare anybody to watch Richard Gere in... Hachi about a dog who followed his owner to the station and waited for him to come home from work. When Richard Gere had a heart attack, the dog moved with the family but ran away and went back. Never even heard of it. Good Lord, I've never heard of that film at all. Never heard of it. Um, is it Hoochie? Oh, it's, it's that's somebody else who recommended that Forrest Gump. When he discovers he's a father, he asks if the boy's okay, and Jenny Jenny tells him he's the cleverest in his class when he realises he knows he's different, says Rob in Colchester. Thank you. Jenny Agata was naked in Walkabout. I know, can't get over things like that. Uh, The champ, Vito in Maidenhead, comes up with, and goodbye, Mr Chips, Robert Donat, as Mr Chips, as he's taking his last breath, there's literally a last roll call of the pupils announcing their names. Yes, one of the boys in it plays three parts. He plays his his brothers, which is very good, because I checked him out. Checked him out. Um Jan and Peckham says, Have you seen a film with June Allison called Tiger in the Sky with Alan Ladd about an RAF pilot who dies just before his baby is born? Oh dear, that sounds a bit sad. Town like Alice? Yes. Watership down. Thank you. Kevin the Miltman says, if the part called for it, Steve, I would go topless. <laughs> I have no doubt of it whatsoever. Uh whatsoever. Um so are you stockpiling stamps? Because you're literally just days away, because April the 30th is when the price goes up. The advice is, buy stamps now, because you're buying them at the old price. Because you don't want to spend an extra 40%, do you? As long as the stamps state on them, first or second class, you're okay. You don't want a sum of money on them. I know a lot of online retailers have sold out. I don't know how how Costco's doing with theirs, but if I go down there today, I might pick up some stamps. because I do use stamps. So that's a wad of second-class stamps bought at £1,000 today will be worth £1,400 after the hike. So my advice is buy what you can afford. If you're somebody who sends a lot you know, then that it would be worth it to save a lot of money. Especially for sort of, you know, little companies who perhaps don't have a franking machine. But if you can afford to go out and buy stamps, £1,000 worth, if you can find somebody with £1,000 worth, it's worth, after the hike, 1400 But they've got to say first or second on there. OK? There's no point in buying them if they've got a sum of money because that's what they're going to be putting them up for. OK? So just uh, just be warned. One punter even tried to buy £5,000 worth of stamps at a branch of Superdrug but found the store is rationing customers to just 72 stamps. Yeah, yeah, right. It's a bit mean, isn't it? So they're now on stamp rationing, ladies and gentlemen. Have you started stockpiling stamps? Do let me know. Oh eight four five We're still trying to find out what you do with poor jobless Laura Ripley. Laura Ripley is 28. She weighs 20 stone. She wants a gastric band fitted... And it's going to cost 15 grand on the NHS. And she's saying, you know, that's what I want because I can't lose the weight. Well, you just have to be fat then. Just have to be fat. There's nothing we could do about it. We don't want to waste 15,000 pounds. I have a sneaking feeling the operation will probably go through because uh, that's what they do and that's what we do. And we do it. We do it the best, don't we, than anybody else. So uh, she is booked for this gastric band bypass in June and she's then hoping for 12 grand's worth of more cosmetic surgery. Why don't you just lose weight, love, like normal people? You know, you're just such a needy person. You're just so pathetically stupid. She also wants arm and uh, thigh lifts and a tummy tuck. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Why don't we take her benefit away from her and go, tell you what, till you've paid it all back, you're getting no benefits. You just have to get out there and work. It's quite clearly no incentive for her. When she was uh, 16, she weighed 25 stone, but she later ballooned to 38 stone. God, you really need to get your life in order. You're a bit pathetic, I'm afraid. Not very good at all. Saddest film? Steve, it's The Colour Purple. I like Oprah Winfrey. Big fan of Oprah Winfrey. Like her. Done very, very well. Very well indeed. And David, to say, uh, I'm delighted to say that Dumbo's mum, Mrs Jumbo, doesn't die. How I usually cry at dear old Lawrence Naismith in Mr Blunden at the very end of the film. And he goes, goodbye. Goodbye, my dears. Yes, we love Lawrence Naismith. He died in Australia a short while ago. As as with all these people who are famous to a lot of us... They never get very much coverage in the papers, so we like to mention people as often as possible. So when June Allison died, we did mention it on the programme. We try to mention it when all of them die because they never get they never get mentioned again. They get a little tiny bit in the paper because a lot of people go, but who were they? And you go, listen, go watch them. If you've never seen June Allison acting, she was lovely. Just go on to onto Amazon, type in June Allison, and pick up some of her films. Very, very good. John says, here we go, the fan the uh, the facts, I'm afraid. Titanic Passengers and Crew, two thousand two hundred and twenty-eight. Lifeboat capacity 1,178, although 705 were saved. Thank you, kiddo. Very much indeed. So 2,228—that's for the passengers and the crew—but the lifeboat capacity was only 1,178, although 705 were saved. Still fascinates people, doesn't it? Still fascinates. They've only got to show you clips of it on the television. You'd think it was lying in about five feet of water, as opposed to two miles down. Kramer vs. Kramer, very sad film, says Wayne. And uh, the other one from Eva in Woodgreen is Sophie's Choice, with Meryl Streep or Terms of Endearment. I never saw Sophie's Choice. I never saw it at all. I don't know why. And Kramer vs. Kramer. I never saw. I know that they, they were big films in their day, but they didn't uh, didn't do it for me. Terms of Endearment or Bridges of Madison County, which were Clint Eastwood film, blub 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 every time. It's good, isn't it? Is that even if you watch them at home? I know if you're watching films with other people and in the uh, the company of other people, it's a bit more difficult. The only film that I cried at in the cinema, well, I've cried at quite a few actually, was uh, unfortunately Steel Magnolias, and the other one was uh, was E.T. But then everybody was crying in the film in the cinema. We were all sitting there and everybody's blubbing away. Pathetic. I tried not to look as though I was blubbing, so you just pretend you've got grit in your eye or something like that. eight three eight five oh stevedlbc.co.uk or 0845 Summer's on hold incidentally. We're now going to get an icy blast coming in. And it could bring snow. I warn you now that it could bring snow by the end of the week. This is always the... It's the Daily Express. I think they sit down there thinking, what weather forecast can we write today that's going to upset the country? Let's say summer's on hold and there's a new icy blast bringing snow. It's certainly going to bring rain. Whether that turns to sleet and that turns to snow remains to be seen. We'll take a short break. It's LBC 97.3. It's Early Breakfast with Steve Allen. Here for another 30 minutes this Wednesday morning. Take your umbrella if you're going out today. The News at Six is coming up now with Sam Pittis. <music> morning. Coming up with Nick Ferrari after the news at seven this morning. Looking at the papers is David Wooding, former political editor at the News of the World. They're going to be talking about uh, sentencing, psychology, and talking about arson. In the crummy cramming it all today. Also, that woman who fell to her death after a, a raid... And uh, and also the uh, the health and safety panel and the UK is saturated by light pollution. You know because we've got too many lights on and so you can't see anything. You can't see the stars. You can't see. To be honest with you, I think London is pitch black. I absolutely think it's pitch black. If you go out whenever I, when I come into London in the early hours of the morning, I mean the lighting around here is so dim. The only good lighting is in Leicester Square, but if you go round Trafalgar Square, it's very low light. It's uh, it's it's terrible, actually, absolutely terrible. It's it's the kind of thing that you sort of think about and and you sort of worry about this. It wasn't a raid, was it? Oh, right. I was only reading on the thing. I was only reading what it said on the uh, on the rundown. It was a, a pre-arranged visit. That's right. That's when she jumped out of the window. It was pre-arranged, so they they sort of turned up. I don't think anybody was expecting them to turn up at all. Uh, so all of that with Nick Ferrari and the team. After the news at 7 o'clock this morning. We were talking yesterday about the death of the artist Thomas Kincaid. And uh, it's amazing how many people contacted me after that who've been moved by his pictures. He did pictures of light. And they they were wonderful. And Gary wrote to me and says, ''When an artist of his stature dies, the whole art world hurts. Art is the legacy of who we are and how we as a people view life.'' His art lifted spirits and offered hope to a world filled with turmoil. I thought his pictures were great actually i didn 't like them in sort of later life, but I just thought they were very clever some of his some of his uh, Christmas carding stuff was very good indeed very very good liked it a lot liked it a lot so, uh, so that was very good so thank you to all the people who wrote in after that yesterday and uh, and the health and safety misuse. Uh, of children. You know, we've had over the years health and safety and they're saying, you know, you can't do this, can't do that. In other words, office workers banned from wearing flip flops. The other day we had hairdressers not allowed to wear high heels because they might fall over. Children banned from playing conkers unless they wear goggles. And there's all sorts of things. Over the years, health and safety get involved and we keep going, for goodness sake, I mean, it's just ridiculous. You know, kids have played conkers for donkey's years and nobody's ever had any problem with it. There's never been a problem. But then health and safety interferes. There must be real mamby pambies at home. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't touch the toaster. It could be hot. It was ever since they started printing on the side of McDonald's apple pies, caution-filling hot, that I suddenly realised that the whole world has gone absolutely balmy. I mean, I understand that people can fall off off flip-flops. I understand that people can fall off high heels but I mean you just that's kind of occupational hazard isn't it there's not really a lot you can do about it if you're going to fall off you're going to you're going to fall off I'm afraid I couldn't really care less I don't know why we have to have health and safety telling us we're living in this mamby pamby thing Lewis says army petroleum tanker drivers this task is pertinent that a royal corps of transport the corps are fully trained in all modes of transport land water and air from roller skates to tank transporter and boats and aircraft so why do you need to teach them how to put petrol into a tank in a garage because they must be doing it already mustn't they and also, how many are there? How many are there of these Army Petroleum tanker drivers? I know, because I used to live on an Air Force base. We lived on a number of Air Force bases. And we used to see tankers whizzing about all over the place. So I'm assuming they know how to connect them up. But they're obviously... Perhaps te- perhaps, they- perhaps the technology has changed over the years. So that's, that's why. Uh, stamp prices, says Mark. <coughs> Excuse me. I bought several full sheets of Christmas stamps back in November. Still got them. There's no price on them. Yes, I've got those as well. I must have about... Uh, 10 packs of those, and I think there's one, two, probably about 12 in each thing, so, yeah, quite a few. But I'm going to go out today and get some more stamps, because I I keep forgetting that as they go up at the end of the month, that's when, you know, 40% increase is a lot by anybody's standards. So I thought, if we, I'm not stockpiling stamps, but as long as they've got first and second written on them, that's okay. Unless they're going to change the colour of the blasted things. Paul says, when my dad went to pick up his pension the other day, the postmistress, who's a friend of the family, was telling him that them upstairs... Are getting all the staff to push stamps on customers in much the same way as they try to flog us phone top-ups and life insurance. An interesting morning awaits. I told you the other week that uh, Dad's manuka honey treatment was finishing on his leg. We have the maggots from today. I just hope they don't escape. Oh, ghastly. I hate things like that. But the Mo- manuka honey, very good. Actually, I've got through a jar in about a week and a bit. And this is the 18+, 18, uh, 18 plus. I'm not sure if you have to be eighteen plus to use it. But I should definitely be buying stamps. Greyfriars Bobby, uh, the dog's master, dies and it sleeps on his grave in the churchyard. Very Scottish, very sad. And made by Disney, Tony. Made by Disney. Greyfriars Bobby. I'm told that the story isn't as, isn't as it was portrayed in the film. But there again, we'll, we'll we'll never know. We'll never know, will we, whether these things are true? It's just that they're, they're they're good films. Uh, ben Hur, very weepy film, says Gordon. I think Ben was Ben Hur. I like Ben-Hur with the extra bits on it. And then uh, this is this Hiachi, this wonderful faithful dog true story happened in Japan. Brief Encounters and Schindler's List. Yes, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt in anybody's mind about Schindler's List. I think that's absolutely a film. It's, you know, there are so many, so many good, good films and I think Schindler's List would be not considered a good film because that's making light of it, but as a, as a, as a documentary, as a way of laying down what exactly happened, then, then that, I think, was brilliant. And as I say, it was the end bit where the people came over the hill and they were, they were the original people of Schindler's List, an ever-decreasing bunch. And I think if you buy the DVD, there are extra bits about the organisation which um, he set up to look after people. Very good. Little House on the Prairie, says Lynn. Absolutely. Don't watch, says Dominic. Sophie's Choice. It'll scar you for life. I've never been affected so much by a film. Meryl Streep's character has to choose which of her children goes to the concentration camp. Truly gut-wrenching stuff. Right. Definitely have to watch it. Mask where Cher played the mum. I think Cher's very good in some of the films she does. In fact, I think she's exceptionally good. A patch of blue, says Judy, about a blind girl who falls in love with a kind man. She meets in the park, played by Sidney Poitier. Guaranteed to have you blubbing at the end, thank you. And Malcolm recommends The Snowman, when the boy goes into the garden at the end to find that he's melted. Yes, you do so want it to be true, don't you? To serve them all my days in the Green Mile, says Morel, never heard of The Notebook. Uh, Brian says, you said you're scared of water. I've always found if you add whiskey and ice, it makes it less scary. Thank you. Uh, Will Smith in a film. Not big fan of uh, Will Smith, I'm afraid, so I wouldn't watch anything by him. And uh, another one here, which is... Uh, wait a minute. I've lost it there. I'm, I'm going to go down on my list. Uh, Hidden in America, says Jazz from Crawley. Hidden in America. Make anybody cry. I don't know that one. I'll have to check. 84850... Stephen Harlington says, Elf and safety, I was told to put a hard hat on in an open field near Heathrow. Told the site foreman at 350 tonnes of aircraft, you know, don't worry, hard hat won't stop that. No sense of humour, these people. I know. But they, they do worry, don't they? And the kids at school, I mean, can be quite dangerous. Uh, Schindler's, Titanic was seen as a weepy film. I didn't see Titanic as a weepy film. And Up, what was weepy about Up? The Lion King was that weepy... And Toy Story. Since when was Toy Story a weepy film? I never saw Toy Story as a as a weepy film. I just thought it was very well done, but it was a it was a car- you can't cry at cartoon type things. They're just because they're they're not real <laughs> makes makes it a bit unbelievable for me. I'm afraid. Uh, Robbie Williams, what dreams may come. I think Robbie Williams in a few things has been very good. I liked him in Dead Poet Society. Bit of a weepy bit at the end. The captain, my captain, that was very good. Uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. was also in What Dreams May Come and uh, Annabella Scura. Thank you Lewis very much indeed in Wokingham for that one and uh, Mark the Bailiff's off out. Just thought I'd warn you if you haven't paid your your bills and you've got uh, outstanding debts he's heading your way today. I'd love to be able to tell you where he's heading for just so perhaps we could pinpoint it one day and go round there and watch and see how it it, it, uh, goes on. 14 minutes past 6 LBC 97.3 18 minutes uh, past six. Uh, another one here, which says, uh, The only film that made me cry was Soldier Blue, says Michael. Do you know, strange enough, do you try and get the original soundtrack for Soldier Blue? It's a blooming impossible task. It was uh, recorded by Buffy Sam Marie, who had the hit single Soldier Blue, but the only version that you can find on iTunes is a live version done acoustically, and it's dreadful, I'm afraid. Uh, Jenny and Mitchum cries at Watership Down. I know, that was the sign outside the butchers, wasn't it, about Warship Down, which was the uh, the rabbits. It said, you've read the book, you've seen the film, now you can eat the cast. Um, which I thought was quite tragic, actually, because I can't eat rabbit. I can't do rabbit at all. Though A friend of mine went to a restaurant the other day, and said they do rabbit on it. It's so, oh, never appealed to me. I just look at them. I feel a bit sorry for them, I'm afraid. Like eating pussycats or something like that. Not very nice. James. Good morning, sir. Morning. Two films that um, are particularly sad. One is A Shop Around the Corner. Yes, that was, that was the one with the bad snow scenes, I'm afraid. That's Maureen
1: Sullivan and James Stewart.
0: Yes, yes. And, uh, and what mean, was the name of the man who owned the shop? Pardon? What was the name of the man who owned the shop? Oh, God, you got me the Hungarian chap. I can't think of him. He was Hungarian, yes. Uh, th- th- in fact, the-, the guy who played the young guy in it died quite tragically.
1: Yeah. And the other movie is a Mike Lee film, Secrets and Lies.
0: Oh, right. I never saw it. What's it about?
1: It was Brenda Bletton and Timothy Spall, and it's about uh, Brenda Bletton plays Timothy Spall's sister, and she's had an affair with a black American soldier. Right. And uh, the baby was adopted, and the the child goes up and comes looking for the mother. Oh. And Timothy Spall is married and very successful, has a photography business, um, and married to a, a posh type of lady. But they can't have a family. Yeah. And it's just the whole family getting together around. The whole it's the whole it's a typical Mike Leaping. Yes. Yes. And he has a lot of character actors, um, um, Alison Steadman's in it. There's various people play uh, small um, uh, bits in it. You mm. know. But it, it's just very good.
0: Yeah. Shop Around the Corner I loved. I thought it was a, it's oh, a nice yeah. little Christmas film. Yeah. And uh, and it's about a little... I'm now trying to remember the name of the blasted man myself. I've just forgotten it, actually. No, they're, forgo-
1: all, they're all very smart. It's set in Hungary back in the... Yes. Of, but it's sea. the
0: snow that comes down, and it, it's all very pretty. And then you suddenly look at it, and you realize, it's, the, it's the worst fake snow I've ever seen in my life. But I, but I bet you by the end of the programme, in ten minutes' time, somebody will have actually told us the name of the man... Who was who ran the shop, Mister What? That Dickens was his name, you know. One of these things. You, I can see the bloke in front of me now. So it's a good sort of one of those sort of names. But it was about a little shop, and they were they were coming to Christmas time and selling things, and they have to sell these music boxes. And they say, it's really really good little film. But there's a, there's a little story that's sort of interwoven in it, and uh, James Stewart's very very good. Uh, Judy, thank you for that, James Uh, Judy says, I've just bought a book of 12 first class stamps from a machine Put in £6 for a £5.52 purchase and got no change So I've already paid the inflated, uh, price Yes Yes, you need to shop around I mean, in Costco, they offer a discount on the stamps So I might go and buy a few (laughs) from there today Uh, Barbara in Surbiton, uh, Pierpoint Who was Britain's last hangman when he has to hang his friend And Mr Holland's opus Yes, I like Mr Holland's opus as well I thought that was, a, that was a, a very, very good film. I do like that, yes. But Pierpoint, uh, I can't remember who actually played Pierpoint in the film, but it was somebody who used to drink in his pub and he had to hang him because he'd uh, he committed, a, he committed a crime. I'm told it was, it was a true part of his story. Uh, one here... I said, so many on these films, I didn't realize there were so many films that you cried at. The Colour Purple, Alison liked, and strange enough, I've just bought it because I mentioned it to a friend of mine the other day, and she said, You've never seen The Colour Purple. So I ordered it, it was only something like £3. So I feel bet, but I haven't watched it yet. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Mr. Skeffington is a good film. This is a film with uh, the great Betty Davis, who plays a woman who's a society a society girl, and uh, gradually her looks go. And she becomes very old, but she's still clinging on to her youth, I'm afraid. And to protect her her brother, who's a bit of a drunk, she marries Mr Skeffington, who's played by Claude Rains. Uh, they later separate. He's very rich. They've got this beautiful mansion. Uh, however, after she catches diphtheria and loses her looks... He visits and asks to see her. Initially, she refuses, but when he enters and falls over a footstool because he's blind, she hugs him, and I grab another tissue, Steve. It's because he can only remember her as she was. So he doesn't, he doesn't know what she looks like. She, she sort of agrees to see him. and She's got these little curls in her hair, but they're all put in individually because her hair's fallen out and she has to wear wigs. So when when he comes in and he trips over the stool, she discovers that he's blind. And I think they've used that, that in, a, in a few other films. And she says, she says to him, you know, and it, well, he, he says to her, you know, you will never change, you will never grow old, because in my mind, I only remember you when we were married, and that's the image I have in my mind. And so, of course, it worked perfectly. And, uh, and they spent the rest of their life together. Born Free or Harvey, both good weepies, says Deborah. Most of the films you've read out are actually based on books. You weep through She so I've never cried at a book. I've read books before, but I don't think I've ever I don't think I've ever cried at a at a book. Uh Kathy says Beaches makes me cry now, especially as my brother died suddenly of the same heart condition after I originally saw the film. Yes, I think if you if you've got an association with a film because uh it mirrors something that happened in your life, well then yes, I think automatically we, we do get affected by that. Uh, Virginia McKenna's carved her name with pride. Very good. Anything Virginia McKenna did. She was very good in a town like Alice, although it was filmed, I believe, in Virginia water. <laughs> Doesn't sound as exciting, does it, really? And every time I kept seeing another bamboo plant, I thought, I'm sure she's passed that before. Uh, Patricia says, don't cry over a cartoon. I wept my eyes out when I saw the Merry Melodies cartoons, especially Bugs Bunny and poor Elmer Fudd. Oh, you so didn't. You can't cry at a cartoon. They don't have soul cartoons. They really don't. If it's something like uh, Watership Down, well, then that's, that's a little bit different. But even then, I didn't, I didn't actually cry at Watership Down, I'm afraid. In fact, I didn't even... I didn't like the cartoon, because the, the hit song from that was Art Garfunkel's Bright Eyes. Wasn't it Bright Eyes? Nobody so far has come up with the name of the man who was in the shop around the corner, the man who owned it. Mr... Gosh, I wish I could remember... You know, sometimes you have a senior moment first thing in the morning, and quite clearly you've all got it as well, because none of you can remember his name either, and yet it's such a good film. Phil- oh, wait a minute, Paul will know. Paul will know. It's Mr. Matchacek. Mr. Matchacek. That's right. <laughs> You're Quite right. I knew I couldn't remember it. He says, remade as you've got mail. Is it? It's because he was having an affair, wasn't it? Oh, right. Now, you've got to watch the original shop around the corner in black and white. The worst snow you've ever seen in history, but it's a lovely film. But the boy who plays uh, the young man in the shop, not the young young man, but the next one up there, uh, had a sticky ending, I'm afraid. I went on to IMDb and checked him out and he had a came to a sticky ending, I'm afraid. So he didn't go any further. Mr. Matchacek, that's right, who owned the shop around the corner. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Julie says, "I'm sure you can get the DVD through Amazon." This is life is beautiful, worth a look. I do, I do try and trawl the internet to certainly find films that that make you feel a bit um, a bit sad. Gladiator says uh, Abdul Russell Crowe starred it. Absolutely amazing film. Quite emotional at times too. Yes, I mean, I, well, I mean, in, in those sort of films, it was it was almost a case of people did lose their lives. I was saying to my friend Graham yesterday, we were thinking about places you would go to on holiday. You know, if you had lots of money, where would you go in the world? And, you know, the one pl- after we went through the usual Barbados and Grenada and places like that, we then came down to the fact that I wanted to go to China. I wanted to go to the Forbidden City. I wanted to, uh, to sort of live that life again, to go in there, which would be fantastic. Big event taking place at uh, Highgate Cemetery. Check out their website, uh, which is highgate-cemetery.org. Uh, Our boys from Isosceles are doing uh, a piece around there. They used to work with LBC a long time ago, Isosceles Theatre. That's uh, Pat and Dave. And it's coming. It's about the Titanic. So go and check that one out. OK, so it's highgate-cemetery.org, and you can find all the details on there, and uh, a bit of luck yesterday because Noreen went to Milton Keynes and two of the zombies were on the radio and they have an unveiling of a blue plaque at the first play they ever played at a pub in St Albans she said, uh, so we'll go and see it we wouldn't have heard it, but we had the radio station on for the traffic, we're booking to see the animals, gosh, PJ Proby Jerry and the Pacemakers and Chip Hawks in St Albans in November only one show booked at the moment, Steve Ellis and Amen Corner. Steve Ellis that was Love Affair wasn't it Steve Ellis was a love affair. Uh, finally, front pages of the Papiers for you this morning. Mr Mattercheck. I'm glad we got that. Uh, the Daily Express. New extradition fast. We can boot out vile Abu Hamza, but it could still take years. Uh, Prince Harry. A blossoming relationship with Molly King. I think not. Uh, the Sun. My romp with a randy dwarf. I mean, I ask you, really. This is more on the... Uh, on the... Uh, on the rue hooker. Uh, on the Daily Mail... Great charity revolt. 800 furious charities say Osborne's budget will lose the millions. Catherine Jenkins looking fantastic in America. She's unveiled a new slim look. As somebody who's interviewed her three or four times, slim is the one thing she is. She is absolutely microscopic. Microscopic. And Nikki from Big Brother. Somebody said she's battling anorexia again. So I know she listens to this programme all the time. Would you eat, woman, for goodness sake, honestly... Nicky, pull yourself together. I don't know. don't have to come round there and force-feed you Easter eggs or something like that. And the Daily Star, Simon Cowell and David Walliams, have been told to carry on camping up on Britain's Got Talent, which seems a bit strange, really, since it's Simon Cowell's programme. Uh, There's also um, The Dwarf's Grumpy... And that's all I can tell you. And David Beckham is going to become the first man to grace the front of the women's fashion magazine, Elle. He's going to be the cover star on May the 30th. It's apparently a nod to the Olympic Games. That's nice, isn't it? That's good news. Uh, front of The Times this morning, Britain's murder uh, exposes the power struggle in China. Uh, should we ban the dog? which is uh, a great report. So for dog lovers everywhere and the front of the Guardian, wave of panic selling rocks, Euro markets. I'm back with you tomorrow morning. Don't forget the free podcast will be up uh, in about 25 minutes, something like that on the LBC website, lbc.co.uk. Do download it. It doesn't cost you a penny piece. Have yourself a lovely day. Take an umbrella. It's going to be one of those wet, miserable, overcast, and that's going to run for the whole week, I'm afraid. And I'm back with you tomorrow morning at uh, four. Nick and the team with you after seven. Next on LBC 97.3, the morning news with Susan Bookbinder. This is LBC.